The following podcast is work safe. Episode 16, the monthly video power audio magazine from WeTalkGames.com. And have we got a great show for you. Hot on the heels of the newest BitTrip release, BitTrip Runner, Alex Noisy from Gaijin Studios will be joining us as our special guest today. Also our correspondents and co-hosts Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, Eric Alex and Kirby. Plus, joining us on this episode's Council of Video Game Millionaires, Rachel Moore will be back to share her thoughts on whatever the council topic is. This is the We Talk Games monthly flagship audio fanzine magazine show. And don't forget our breakout bonus level minisodes, which launched last month. And wow, have they really been a success. So check out the three May Bobble episodes, downloadable arcade at home, portable gaming, and of course the launch of the stinky... What's going on? What are you doing there, Stink? I'm building my throne! <laughs> I... Can you just keep it down for a second? Let me... Yeah. As I was saying, we're so proud to have the release of our weekly Bobbles... And if you're not already on board at WeTalkGames.com, well, now is the time. We haven't advertised this yet, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We're starting a monthly sign-in-to-win giveaway, where each month, just for signing in, you'll be able to win valuable we Talk Games and video game-related prizes. In fact, next month, we're going to be giving away the Game of Your Choice Asterix. For example, you can't say, My game of choice is Environmental Discs of Tron. <laughs> it has to be a reasonable release of under $60 or something of that nature. But lots of other We Talk games and video game related giveaways each month, starting this month. So just sign in to WeTalkGames.com. If you're already a member of Twitter, Facebook, your Windows Live ID like you use on the Xbox, Yahoo or OpenID, you're already a member of WeTalkGames.com. All you do is you go in there, you click login, and you use your social media networking sign of choice. Of course, you can also create a standard account, but there's no fuss, no muss, no bulk emails, all the authentication is done on the social media login and then the trust is passed down to the we talk games video power online magazine i am your host wiggly in the booth as always keith lapash yo the robotic sweetheart of the pod waves tt schmootkins hello my name is titty schmootkins today i'll be helping stinky build his throne all right T.T., are you sure that you have the you-know-what down in the you-know-where? Because there's really no changes that I've seen in you over these past few months. I exercise regularly. Well, that notwithstanding. All right, Stink, what's going on here? Building your throne, is it? Yeah, I've got to build my throne. And you know why, too. Because of my digital prune show. Well, I hate to say it, but... The numbers don't lie. Your digital prune show did bring the highest number of listeners ever to the We Talk Game stream. I am the king of media, King Stinky. At least you're not letting it go to your head. Stay humble, Stink. Stay humble. But listen, we got to get started. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Oh, 
I sound like a robot This must be the retro review part Because if it's from the 80s You must sing like robot just a very brief three-minute downloadable arcade at home section today. I will be doing another downloadable arcade at home breakout bonus level this month, but we're going to switch them up. It won't be the same every month. In fact, the next episode on the schedule is the PS3 review with 2PyR. But back to downloadable arcade at home. Hey, check out my Twitter. Thanks for interrupting, Stink. Stinky started a Twitter. Twitter.com Stinky the GM. Hey, and also subscribe to our We Talk Games Twitter as well, twitter.com slash wetalkgames. Now, back to the three-minute segment I was trying to do. In the Wii Shop channel, the virtual console, Wild Guns for the Super Nintendo, and that's Sumi's Wild West Operation Wolf-style shooter. I am thrilled for this release, and I think today's episode will have a Wild West underlying theme. Also, Kirby Superstar came out, and you know the Kirby series. It's strong. $8 a piece. On the WiiWare side of the house, of course, BitTrip Runner was released, which we'll go into today with one of the creators of the game. Switching over to the 360. For $15, the return of a great franchise, Metal Slug XX. They're going to go with that. Instead of going 10, 11, 12, they're going to go to right to 20. Let's skip right to 20. The 2D goodness is back. And this time, Ralph and Clark from King of Fighters are along for the ride. You can also add them to your team. Now, you might think $15 is a little much for a downloadable version of Metal Slug. However, compared to $350 or $400 for the arcade version, it's an incredible bargain. And compared to the Metal Slug releases for the Wii, the 360's control has it all over. You no longer have to shake to jump and other oddities like that. And it also advertises Combat School, which features 70 missions. So try to demo and wait until you see the first boss. Also released for the 360, Doom 2, the original 3D pixelated classic, is back. With nine new levels, four-player online, two on a couch, and also a two-player co-op mode. Two big game room releases, Haunted House came out, if you're a fan of Haunted House. There you go. And another fan favorite, River Raid. Over at the PlayStation Store, and the reason I wanted to do a mini retro review on this show, I'm always on the lookout for a good vertical shooter, and I found one. And surprisingly, it's brand spanking new. Soldner X2 Final Prototype. It's $15 from East Asia Soft and SideQuest Studios. First, you are treated to a very slick, hand-drawn, and after-affected cinematic story introduction. And the slickness does not stop there. The developers were obviously inspired by Gradius, Salamander, Thunder Force, R-Type, Darius, Gate of Thunder, and maybe even Aldenese. I see a little bit of that in the rings that you go through. Although in Aldenese you're shooting the rings, and this one you're collecting them like Sonic. Tons of robotic enemy and allied voices, techno soundtrack, the graphics are stunning, full 16 by 9 and on-the-fly switchable weapons. Plus, I love shooters where you have to navigate yourself into that sweet spot of a hail of bullets. The entire screen is full of bullets, and you have to weave into that one wee spot that is the DMZ. But the best part of the game is that it was obviously created by shooter fans, and it builds on its predecessors. I might not like the little more Lords of Thunder, J-Rock style of soundtrack, but everything else is far beyond what I expected. And that's it. Check the stream for a more in-depth review on the next downloadable arcade at home breakout bonus level mini-sode. Keith, open it up. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik on the line. 
Report thing. Go. Kyle. Hello. Kyle, are you there? I am here. Are you very good? Yeah. Hey, how about that launch of the new minisodes? Fantastic. And the last one, of course, hijacking the studio there. I don't know about that. Hey, happy birthday, Stinky. Turned 86. He did, and uh, that was not pleasant. His little, um, let's say, uh, cough syrupy interjection into the stream there. Cough syrup, that's that's what we're calling it? I think that's what we're going to go with. Going to go <laughs> with that one? Yeah, although I was really on uh, TT's cough syrup, which, is, like I said, was also her hydraulic fluid. But I think in Stinky's case, we'll also refer to that as cough syrup. But how about work that? safe. Yeah. yeah, we are work safe. And how about that out? Right behind my back like that. But i tell you what, it was a very fun episode. And i sure. I, I got to tell you, I never heard of most of those games Stinky was talking about, so that was really good. And uh, I had a go out and, and uh, try to uh, shockingly insightful i'm i never knew he had it in him all right pal well what do we got for this month well let's kick off with uh, the 30th anniversary of pac-man the google edition big news yeah it was on google everybody was enjoying the uh the google front page the the micro pac-man maze integrated with the google logo not the best pac-man maze i've played (laughs) well mostly because some of the letters didn't line up with the rest of the maze but i think everyone that had a computer must have played that i think this is going to be google's biggest what do they call those squiggles triumphs no 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 they 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 call those uh they call those those uh, drawings they call them something doodles doodles that's what they call them Call them they're, doodles, they're huh? Google doodles, yeah. Hey, man, I got to tell you, uh, that little maze is still better than uh, the Pac-Man maze in Namco Museum DS. So, <laughs> Not I a see. lot of good portable Pac-Mans. Although no. you talked about one on the uh, bonus breakout level Definitely. podcast still, a couple weeks ago. Right, and since then, I've, I purchased the Pac-Man CE for the iPhone. Okay. And I got to tell you, that controls like pup. Yeah, it's well, you, you didn't like it on the Xbox either. No, no, I liked it a lot. I just am oh, not. Okay. I'm not very good at it. Sure. Um, and but I was, you know, I'm. Pr- I think I'm pretty good on the one on the iPhone. But the problem is, after playing the iPad and how yeah. that swipe control is just perfect, it's on. Unfortunately, the 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 CE just wasn't there at all. And I picked it up because it was, I think, ninety nine cents. A lot of the Namco games on the iPod are now ninety nine cents. So check cool. those out. Yeah. Fingers crossed for that Pac-Man CE HD iPad edition. You'll pay $17 for. I would, you know what? I would pay up to, I I think I would pay $15 for it. I know it would never come out at that, but I I think I might because that is such a cool version of Pac-Man. You you like spending money. (laughs) I don't like spending money. No, I don't. In fact, I've put off a lot of the big name releases because they're still ten dollars but pac-man ce to me is just a fantastic game Uh, oh it's very good very very playable version of pac-man and like i said i cannot see myself going back to the original pac-man just because i played it so much over the years but i go back to it on the ipad i just think it's such a neat version i don't know what it is about it and i've had that before with people from when I mentioned that we had this iPad at King of Trios, and the guys were just playing checkers, and they were like, yeah. "This is just checkers," but I feel like I'm in the future. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just it's just something about it sitting there and you doing it on. The, I don't know. I have no idea what the magic is, but it is there. But let's talk about things outside of Pac-Man. I believe. Okay, let's talk about 
some games that I touched on last month, and I'm still playing them this month. Uh, WarioWare DIY cannot get enough of this game, and I'm not going to go into it again, but just a pro player tip. Back in the days of Mario Paint, a little strategy guide came out about how to do certain pixel art and how to uh, do certain music notes in like Street Fighter and uh, mm. Super Mario World and right, a right. lot of like games that are known. So I was thinking, wow, you know, this WarioWare game, the uh, UI is a lot sim- like it's very similar to the Mario Paint UI. Mm-hmm. So I'm like. I- I wonder if I still have this strategy guide, and I didn't. But I went to the Wiggly Mini Mall. I picked it up for I think eight dollars, and uh, it's extraordinarily helpful. If you're into this game, I recommend picking it up. If you want to make Blanca, Guile, Ryu, and Chun Li from Street Fighter, uh, if you want to make the Mona Lisa, if you want to make a uh, uh-huh. Beethoven, it's all in this book. There's all sorts of interesting things that you can do with the uh, the pixel art. And uh, you know the music creation, and it's worth checking out. Oh, really? So that's just a pro player tip. I got a great game idea, and uh, I'll I'll tell you offline. Maybe you'll be able to make it because I got to tell you. I mean, I've been staging to start playing DIY. I've been staging things in my life to be able to start breaking into this, but uh, I just I haven't gotten there yet. It's it's I'm almost there. I'm almost there. All right. So, but I have a great game idea, and I, I'd like to see you. Take I'm looking a stab forward at to it. In fact, John, uh, Johnny Capcom and I were talking offline. He's been cranking out some very interesting titles, and uh, we're not, we're looking forward to sharing our stuff with each other. But he wants to polish his stuff a little more. Oh, so. neat, neat. I talked about it last month, and it, this is technically an addendum. Sam and Max, Devil's Playhouse, Episode One: The Penal Zone. Yes. So I talked about it and I said, you know, I I really want to get into this game, but the opening segments were really janky and it kind of turned me off, but I was going to stick with it. Well, mm-hmm. I stuck with it, and I got to say it was really rewarding. Oh, this no. is what I wanted from a Sam and Max sequel. Great. Now, this, of course, isn't the first time they've done a sequel to the Sam and Max franchise, but I think this time they got it right. I don't know what it was, but there's something about that opening sequence I played through the game again because after you beat... Now, how many times do you play a point-and-click adventure? Once. You know, yeah. yeah, once, and then years will go by, and you're <laughs> like, maybe I should dive back into this. Yeah. Well, but the smart thing they did with this game was right after, they told you, hey, if you jump back in the game, there's another item you can find which you can use. See, the whole gimmick with the game is you have psychic powers from these devil's toys, and the devil's toys give you certain abilities to do things. So right off the bat, I'm like, well, I want to know what this toy is. So I jump back in the game... Went through that opening sequence again, just as janky, but once you got past it, that opening cinematic and and the beginning of the game, and you start getting into the meat of the actual game, Mm -hmm. it runs fine. It's smooth. It's nice. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's too much going on for the downloadable game to handle. I don't know. I don't know the specifics. But getting past that and getting into the game, I really enjoyed it. I'm on the second episode now, and it's totally different. Totally different style of gameplay. Um, this time around, they find... And now, these are all in succession. So each sep- episode ties into the next. So at the end of the first episode, uh, they find the skeletal remains of themselves fighting. Uh-huh. And in the second episode, you pick up right where it left off. And they also find a uh, projector with four film reels. Of course, these are magical because they're the devil's you know, projector and reels. Of course. Why wouldn't it be um, magic? There are four segments of the story. you got the beginning, two middles, the end. And what you do is you swap between them and 
play with time and you alter things happening in each reel. It's very cool. I'm having a blast with this game. It, great, like I said, great style, great music choices, g- good writing. Finally, mm. better voice acting than the last lot of them. I really am enjoying this game. If you're a Sam and Max fan, this is for you. And if you if you want to jump into this franchise, I think this is a perfect point to jump in. Yeah, I just read the newest Mac Life, and they suggested some iPad titles, and that was definitely in in the top titles that they suggested. And they they agree with you as well. There's it's not without its troubles, but yeah. it it is a, a really solid title, really fun title. I mean, if you want to put metrics to it, it's definitely a solid B plus eighty five, whatever you want to say. I mean, it is it's a good game if that's your type of game. I mean, that's silly to say, but. I think that if you like those adventure games from that era and you weren't familiar with the franchise and you want to get into this or the sounds interesting to you, jump on it because I, I think you're going to enjoy this game. It's really I fun. I really hope they bring back Full Throttle. I enjoyed that game. That would be thoroughly. really cool if they yeah. did that. And just for the record, it's Sam and Max Devil's Playhouse Episode 2, Tomb of Samoon Mac. Ah, very good. little play on words there. So got to hit my inhaler again. Hold gotcha. On. Speaking of downloadable games, let's talk about a game that I've been jazzed about. Oh. Jazzed about since we talked to Tom Hewlett so many months ago. Mm. Rocket Knight. Yes, the return. Now, I know you played it. Yep. You know I've played it. Sure. So let's talk about it. All this right. is exactly what I wanted from this franchise. Now, I, I, the biggest worries for me about Sparkster coming back was... Um, it, all right, it's going to be in 3D. I don't know. Sometimes the 2.5D games aren't as good as their uh, 2D predecessors. Mm-hmm. This game's fantastic. This game is everything I wanted from Rocket Knight. There are you know some issues, and I'll get to those in a bit. But it's 16-bit in its sensibility. It plays just like Rocket Knight Adventures did, just like Sparkster did. A big fear I had was that they were going to like change up the character. You know, Sparkster, the Sparkster games, kind of dipped their toe into that hole, given the characters tooed. So I really didn't want you know Konami to be like, we brought back Sparkster and we injected him with Mountain Dew voltage and chainsaws. Like I didn't want that. I wanted the same game I played, and a lot of people have been knocking Rocket Knight, saying, oh, it's it's just like a 16-bit game. I, I commend it for having yeah. that 16-bit sensibility, the way the levels play, sure. the way the controls are, the way the rocket feels. That's really important. I mean, Rocket Knight mm-hmm. Adventures, the big thing about that was that jetpack and how it played, because you could control it, but it was almost just had a grasp on it. You didn't right. have a full control of that, that jetpack. Does that make sense to you? Sure, yeah. Like, you have a rocket on your back, so sometimes things aren't going to go exactly how you want it, but it's not on a level of poor control. It's on a level of it just makes sense. I love the boss battles in this game. I said on uh, WeTalkGames.com that it is on par with its contemporaries. However, it is extremely short. There's only 10 levels in this game. I got you. I get hung up because you had to learn the patterns of a boss or the mm-hmm. patterns of a level, but I could beat each level in about 10 to 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, at 10 levels, you're blowing through the game. The game costs $15. Some people were saying that's too much for a downloadable game. I I think that that is a good price for this title. I can understand people wanting to wait for that $10 mark when the game drops down. Mm -hmm. If you saw this on the the shelf on a disc for $15, you'd think it was a steal. Sure. 
I think it's a lot of people are wrapping their heads around this whole downloadable future thing, and I know we've had heated debates about this on uh, <laughs> WeTalkGames.com, but friendly. They're, you know, they're never sure. vicious. No. It's just we've debated this a lot, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a lot. I think this is in the right direction. This game should have been longer. I think if you would have doubled up, gave mm-hmm. us 20 levels, it, it would have just completely justified the $15 point. But still, I think people might have difficulty swallowing that pill, considering it's a downloadable game, but this is uh, the direction we're going. At least we believe that. No, I, I paid $20 for downloadable games, but like you said, they're usually a little bit longer. Now, I don't know. Did you get that Super Smash Brothers Brawl feel at all on some of the levels? Mostly the Are you talking about level. New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii or the, yeah. the Super mm-hmm. Smash Brothers? Super Smash Brothers Brawl for the Wii. Yeah, I definitely got that because of the, the fast-paced action and how you'd pretty much propel a lot of your opponents off the screen. I and, mean, I got it from that. And like the double jumps. I don't know. I, I think the fun factor of the Super Smash Brothers Brawl really played into the platforming gaming levels. Now, of course, like I mentioned, this is much deeper. This is a real platformer. But yeah. I got that fun from it, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely felt that. And, you know, uh, I made the comparison on the website, our website, about how this was at the level of a new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii. Mm. And I gotta say, I mean, we joked about it when that game was coming out, that that should have been a downloadable, like, WiiWare title. Right, right, sure. And I still feel that way. Yeah. Uh, this game, I actually had, even though it's shorter, and, you know, there's not, as, there's not like, suits and power-ups and everything else, I actually had more fun playing this game. Mm. You know, it's only a single-player experience. Maybe that's a piece of it. Mm. You know, there's leaderboard features, and you can unlock different suits, different, uh, you know, jetpack suits. But I actually, I had fun. Now, is it nostalgia? Probably. Is it, you know, a character that I liked from the mid-90s finally coming back where, you know, every couple of years we get another Mario? Yeah, probably. But I Nothing just wrong like with fa- that. Yeah, the fast-paced action of this game, I really hooked into, and I'm, I just, I, I am having more fun with it. And I feel like it controls a lot better, but I'm also playing it on a PlayStation 3, opposed to playing it with my Wii stick. Yeah, sure, sure. And speaking about playing it on the PlayStation 3, I guess another piece of it, why I really wanted to play this game as badly as I did, is because I had to wait an extra week to play it. For whatever reason, Xbox and PlayStation users in Europe... Got it on the same day. I had to wait another week to play Rocket Knight. Yeah. And I already put money aside in my PlayStation wallet. I wasn't going to drop it on the Xbox just to play the game. You know what I mean? It's like I can wait a week for this game. Sure, sure. Just another example of PlayStation not hitting the mark at all. Yeah, I'm I'm a little upset about that because I did pick it up for 360 because I didn't check their release schedule for the Tuesdays and whatnot at the PlayStation.com org com thing yeah. go to groups now now it's almost impossible to log into your account at playstation.com it's like i don't know you got to do where's waldo type of thing um where's my account login but right. that's besides the point but yeah i i didn't know because when we had tom hewlett on he was sort of saying well it's going to come out for steam and it's going to come out for the 360 and we don't know where we are in the playstation you know timeline so yeah yeah, uh, I saw that it was out for Steam. I saw that it was out for the 360, and I so I picked it up on a 360, not knowing how long I would have to wait. If I knew I only have to wait a week, I would have been cool with it, but I sure. blew it. So now I have to play with that giant tank stick thing. Well, I got to tell you, Tom did a great job with the game. The title screen kind of threw me through a loop because I yeah. was just like, "This kind of looks like a flash thing," uh-huh. but I press start, and then the menu screen. <laughs> 
with three D sparks, they're floating next to your options. Yeah, what's going I on there? To, <laughs> I have to be honest. I was like, did I just waste fifteen dollars on this game? Yeah, <laughs> it's very ugly. I don't know, you know, what the the thought process was behind that user interface, mm. but I, it's very ugly, and yeah. I don't like it. And the other thing I I didn't like was the music. Yeah, and that was disappointing for me because Sparkster, both games, and Rock and Night had great music, and you and I talked about this offline Mm -hmm. after we did the music episode, one of my favorites, about our favorite, you know, video game soundtracks. Konami has such a huge library of great music from all their games, whether they're top-tier, mid-level, or low-level. There's just a ton of great music in there. And I don't know if this was because this was developed in North America and not Japan, but the music in Rock and Night is just... uh, subpar it's it's not horrible like it's mm. not like i gotta put my tv on mute but I, sort of i'm just listening to something else i'll put on my ipod and listen to my own music while yeah. playing because i'm yeah. just not enjoying the music in the game yeah it seems like something went wrong or time went wrong and they just put in this generic music that doesn't help the story at all and speaking yeah. of, i mean we're going to talk about music integration in games today boy yes nice with Alex Noisy on. That's going to be fantastic. Trip Beat? Yes. Thing? The same? That's him. Did you see he's on the website, wetalkgames.com, a he, part of our community? He's a part of the community. Wow! That's awesome. And speaking of the PS3 and speaking about strapping a rocket on your back, when we had Jaden on for the breakout bonus level mini-sode portable gaming at home, he brought up Dark Void Zero, which Capcom released as a 2D Mega Man-like type 8-bit adventure. A game with Jimmy Fallon in it has to be a winner. (laughs) What a hero, what a hero. (laughs) Uh, When I think hero, I think Jimmy Fallon. Okay. But Dark Void, of course, was released by Capcom earlier this year, and from what I understood... Capcom was very disappointed in the performance of both Dark Void and Bionic Commando. Yes, that's confirmed, in fact. So I I thought, well, I've got to check out Dark Void now that I know it was a flop, because there's got to be something good in here. Lovable losers. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I guess that's what I always like. And when I talk about the next game I played on the PS3, wow! Talk about something that really flopped. Uh, we'll get into that. But I picked up Dark Void. Of course, it's severely discounted now. If you go to Wiggly Mini Mall, you can probably pick this up new for ten to fifteen dollars. And some and say that's too much still. <laughs> <laughs> well, I disagree with Wiggly Cito on that one. Good, good. Um, Tell me about it. Well, Dark Void, you do strap a rocket onto your back, and this is the closest you can get to playing the Rocketeer comic book or the Rocketeer movie of the comic, which... And who wants uh, to play that game again? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, you know, the best part about Rocketeer the movie was, of course... Jennifer Connelly. That's it. Yeah. So, but you can't play as her. Although your partner throughout this game is, you know, she's she's a, a nicely compelling 3D character, no doubt about it. Okay. But I've I've only really started on Dark Void, and I'll tell you right away. Now, this is available 360 and PS3, like I mentioned. And the other game I picked up as well was a game. Both of these games I didn't realize they even came out. Because I heard hype, 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 best game I've ever seen, this, that, and the other. And then here they've been out for, you know, half a year. <laughs> That's, you right, know, right. nine months. What the? But Damnation was the other game. 
And I can sort of lump these two a little bit together. Uh, of course, you don't wear a jetpack in Damnation. But both of these games give you the sense of being very high up mm-hmm. in certain parts. Climbing, looking over things, hiding behind things, shooting at people. Uh, Damnation in its execution, well, let's just say Damnation looks a lot better as screen captures than it does when you're actually playing it. Dark Void, on the other hand, very beautiful game really good looking and you start out in the flying sections and i i take it that this is going to be part flying around the other part jumping from cliff to cliff to cliff jumping down jump jumping up and uh vertical plays a big part in this damnation you do climbing all around you're physically climbing jumping to things both of them have an awkward control mechanism that takes uh maybe even a half hour to fully get used to once you get used to it though I think it's really cool how you can really jump around and and make it all work for you. But it definitely takes some investment into rewiring your brain to understand these control mechanisms. Damnation is a lot worse in that aspect. Uh, Like, here's one instance. R2 on the PlayStation 3 controller is your shoot button, is your fire button. You know, that's a little bit odd. It's normally your R1. You aim with like your L1 or your L2 to bring up the site. Oh no, your L, your L2, and then you shoot with it. It's just it's confusing. But Dark Void looks great, and the robot villains are probably some of the best robots I've ever seen. It's nice and shiny, and as a hero type of game, I think Dark Void really succeeds. I don't know what the big problem with it was. I think maybe people are just. They just want their space marines to happen. I think that might be the problem. Um, Now, you play Just Cause 2, correct? Or at least the demo? Mm -hmm. Is is, 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 it sort of like in the same feel? Like uh, all the three games are kind of like just... Maybe it's too much of the same as what I'm getting at? Uh, I don't think so because these have direction. You know, you're supposed to complete tasks. It's very linear. Uh, There's no real open world thing going on here. And I felt like I was wearing a jetpack when I was doing the flying scenes. Another thing about Dark Void is it definitely combines bad history and bad science, but with a kind of neat twist. It puts a weird spin on the Anunnaki, which, uh, the, or Anunnaki, which is from Sumerian history, oh, okay. uh, our, our oldest uh, known human civilizations. And then, of course... You get uh, a little visit there from Nikola Tesla. Stop by his lab. What? (laughs) Nikola Tesla? Another video game with Nikola Tesla in it? Tesla's, you know, getting a lot of play lately. He's very popular with the youth in the video game community, evidently. (laughs) Fifteen bucks, Nikola Tesla. How could you go wrong? You can't. (laughs) So, I don't know. Uh, Maybe give it a rental or something. See see what about it. But Damnation is like, I don't know, two dollars, I think you could pick this up for. But this was an incredibly hyped game. It's in that Western steampunk style. And I can speak a little bit more on Damnation because I played it a little bit more than Dark Void. I'm just really breaking into Dark Void. But so far, I just I have no idea what people didn't like about it. I I think it's uh, just fine. Uh, But Damnation, I played a little bit longer and it really does capture steampunk because all your weapons are steam. Some weapons take a little time to warm up and build up the steam pressure. You got to put coal in them and stuff. You, you do. Know? Yeah, that's that's true because you're you're doing a lot of things around railroad, uh, big giant mines and big mining carts and and things like this. Is Will and, Smith in it? 
No, he is not. Oh, uh, well. Thankfully, hopefully, there's no giant spider. I'm um, hoping. No, because I do oh. not want to. You know that uh, there, there's a big backstory to that, which I, I won't get into now. But I know that backstory too. That the big spider was supposed to be in Superman. Yes. And then he, yep. the, the one producer cannot Back get when that to Kevin happen. Kevin Smith was writing the script for Superman. That is true. Yeah, Kevin Smith uh, was writing that script. Oh my goodness. Well, anyway, cut all of that out. <laughs> but but I think that he got out of it because the one guy was pushing for this giant spider, which yes. he eventually got in his uh, Wild Wild West horrible remake. He also uh, wanted loved, Superman lo- to have a oh. uh, a counterpart like R two D two because <laughs> the re releases of the Star Wars movies had come out, <laughs> and he was telling uh, Smith that. Superman needed a robotic companion. Oh, my. Herbie the Robot defects yeah. the DC. <laughs> Twinkie <laughs> flying around with Superman. That's great. But Damnation is that steampunk genre. The problem here is is that maybe they researched steampunk. Maybe they researched the look. The look is, you know, really fantastic as far as the backdrops go. You do get a big sensation that you're going high, high up on towers. You get the sweaty palms, you know, if that's a normal thing with you in heights. Uh, so it really captures that. The problem is that the writing doesn't have anything to do with the whole steampunk going back in times to the you know turn of the century, just before the turn of the century, late 1800s. Right. has nothing to do with that. They're all like saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to punch you in the face. Oh, yeah, well, me too. Oh, well, I'll kill you. I'll shoot you. Oh, you're my friend? Not really. Okay. It's like, eh. Still That's right. Dialogue in a video game? No way. <laughs> yeah, it really falls flat on that. Now, Dark Void so far, I really like the story where that's going. So, you know, once again, not to compare the two, but two, both of them are sort of flops, and both of them feature big high places that you go to. So if you like to go in high places, you might enjoy this. I would put Damnation in the same vein as far as what you're going to get out of it motion-wise and play-wise, I might put it with the John Woo Stranglehold. If you tried Stranglehold from our recommendations and you thought, this is okay, I feel like I'm playing a modern game, I think that you might enjoy Damnation. Once again, the control takes getting used to, but you you might enjoy it for the three dollars that you'll spend for it yeah good discount bin games exactly getting it keep these on a shelf for those dry moments you'll be happy what else you got that's it (laughs) i demoed fret nice uh beautiful looking (laughs) game plays like crap yeah did you try it with your guitar controller uh yeah i did Barely a game. Yeah. Uh, it's a it good. looks really cool. I gotta say, the art yeah. style is fantastic, but yeah. um, that's not something I'm investing anything into. Yeah, you really shouldn't be playing action platformers with your guitar. I tried it with a guitar. I tried it with the controller. No dice on either. Well, maybe they'll come up with rim shot. Rim shot, nice. Yeah, and then you. <laughs> Rim shot friendly. There you go. You you use your bass drum to jump, and uh, the snare shoots bubbles. Who knows? All right, pal. Well, uh, come back on for the council. Yeah. Who even knows what we're going to talk about? I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. Talk to you soon. Hold on. Bye. Bye. Kyle Von Kubik. Kyle Von Kubik is also handling our We Talk Games Twitter, and he has a new video game related question up there almost every day. So follow us now. All right, Keith, I'm putting on my shades. 
I got to get in my cool hipster mode. Let's open it up to Gaijin Games and Alex Noisy. Santa Cruz! Alex Noisy. Go! Yo. 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 Alex, thank you for joining us here on We Talk Games this fine day. Dude, you're so welcome. I like to talk games. You like to talk games. We like to talk games. Now, Alex, usually I have a stack of 30, 40, 60, 90 questions in front of me. But today, I'm going to make it easy for you. Very, very special. In fact, in front of me, I have absolutely zero questions. Oh, so I guess uh, we're done. It was a pleasure being on the show. Let me clarify. I actually have one request. Okay. And that's all I really have before me, one request. So, Alex, please tell me everything. Everything, you say? Yes. That's all you have to do. All right. Well, uh, at the beginning, I was dead, and then I became alive. Yes. uh, As many of us do. And I learned what it was like to play Smurf's Rescue in Gargamel's Castle or whatever that game is called on the Atari 2600. And I was better at that than my friend Barry was. He couldn't jump over the fences, and I could. And that became my the beginnings of my love affair with video games. And from then, I played Metroid in the dark, and that's what gave me glasses. But it was worth every second of the rest of my life when I have to wear glasses just to play that game. And then I went to college and got smart. And after I got smart, I realized that getting smart isn't going to pay the bills. So I had to make things that would distract people from life right. to, uh, to pay the bills. And that's how I ended up making video games. I see, I see. And uh, now you speak about Smurfs. Have you ever played the import from the Europe of Smurf for the Sega CD? You know, I have not. Is this something I need to do? Should I take notes here? Uh, if you played the, the 2600 version or the older versions, I think it's, it's pretty much the same with nicer graphics. But, yeah, you still have trouble getting over a fence. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, those, I mean, those Smurfs, they're only three apples tall, you know? What a, a fence is a major obstacle. It really is. And uh, yeah. to jump ahead incredibly, it reminds me of the steps in Beat Runner. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> Well, Bit Trip Runner is, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. Those stairs are the uh, are the Smurf fences of the Bit Trip world. You really have to understand that rhythm, and but once you do, it's okay. Yeah. So, but initially, you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing on this rhythm. Just wait till you get to the stairs paired with the space meatballs. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah. Level three. And you also say uh, that you wanted to create things to distract people from life or take away their time and sure, steal it right and when i had ralph bear on i don't know if you ever heard of that guy 
Of course. <laughs> he played Bitrit Beat. We have a photo to prove it. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah he yes. took he took big offense to me even remotely implying that video games are some sort of distraction or way to draw us out of life or or a, a waste of time. Oh, maybe that's how. Maybe because I called it a waste of time. Uh, I definitely don't think it is a waste of time. No, I don't of, think it's. A, I think certain games are probably a waste of time, and I've played them too. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes you go back to yeah. them. Oh yeah, and sometimes <laughs> we do. Like uh, just the other night, I tried to pick up Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom for the NES and play through that. Sure, sure. And I, I realized that's not the greatest game, <laughs> and so I stopped. And <laughs> what what an odd release for the the Wii Virtual Console. The Bitrip series? No, the Princess uh, Tomato. Oh, they released it on the virtual console. I play. I have the cartridge. So. I see. I see. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. I love the virtual console, but I don't own hardly any virtual console games because I've got a very extensive video game library at uh, home. You know, with all the systems. Sure, um, sure. I I have a pretty fair collection. I I did sell off a lot of my NES games when I was trying to make a living doing podcasts, and uh, that's how well that worked out. Uh, Restaurant Panic. <laughs> Restaurant Panic was a big seller. That I got a lot of loot for that one. Nice. Yes. Good. But even though I have a lot of systems, especially at TurboGrafx, that's that's my number oh, one yeah. favorite system, I still, I guess I'm too lazy to, you know, break out uh, my uh, cartridges and CDs and everything else, and I can't help myself but picking up VC games, just because of the convenience. Yeah, well, it's a great service. It is. It, sure. It's really neat. And I think it shows that people don't mind paying for something that's legit. I mean, I think the reason that most of us do emulation is because... They're not available for me to legitimately buy at a reasonable price. So, mm-hmm. and- Well, that's one of the things I was really excited about with the virtual console is it is a legit way to get it, to get the games. Like, for instance, um, I think it's Blazing Lasers for the, turbo, mm. for the Turbo Graphics. I don't own that game, so I bought it on the virtual console. And that's nice because it was like, what are, what are Turbo Graphics games like? 500 points or yeah yeah five bucks something yeah. yeah so that's better than buying a copy of blazing lasers on ebay now alex uh you you worked let's get back to you uh you right. you worked uh, at lucas for a while i guess i did yeah for about seven years i think wow okay <laughs> just crazy did, were you there when noah falstein was there the name sounds familiar but i don't think i was there at that time. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I started in 1997 at LucasArts, and that was my first job in the industry. And I started as a tester, which was very, very exciting for me. Um, and, in fact, the first game I was testing was uh, Jedi Knight, Mysteries of the Sith. And, of course, it's a PC first-person shooter, and um, I'm a console gamer, always have been, and I don't really like first-person shooters, so I wasn't good at it. I was very unfamiliar with the controls, and my first day, they put me at this desk, which had the biggest television, like the biggest monitor in the whole test department, up high, like on this creepy pedestal where everyone could see me playing. It was like... It was the craziest thing ever, and I was just, I felt like such a chump because I could not play that game very well at all. Indoctrination by fire, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I was at LucasArts for a long time. I liked it a lot. Very good. Now, did you ever have any insight to George Lucas's plans to destroy pinball? (laughs) You know, George and I used to have um, secret meetings in the the dark rooms to talk about that exact thing. Finally! Um, 
It was it was all me. I'd like to say. Oh, this is great! <laughs> you I've been it. waiting for this. Yes. <laughs> wow! No, all those man. months finally pay off. Yeah, exactly. No, George is behind a fortress. You know, he's like he's like Superman in the Fortress of Solitude. You know, I see. Uh, the very brief dealings I had with George were polite yet brief. I see. I see. <laughs> now, when did you strike out on your own? Then I actually. Tried to strike out on my own right after LucasArts and start Gaijin Games back then, but I didn't know anything, um, you know, and uh, I, I had a team together and we were all kind of ready to go if, if the stars aligned, but they didn't. So I retreated back into the video game corporate envelope or fold, if you will, and I took a job at Activision as a producer. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, so I went from, um, at LucasArts, I left there, uh, I was in a design role at LucasArts by that time, and I left to take a, a producer role at Activision to see if I could learn a little bit more about the industry before trying to start my own company again, always kind of thinking that I would. And after that, I jumped to a small independent developer called Santa Cruz Games here in Santa Cruz, California. And after a, sh- a short stint there of, um, I don't know, a few years, I decided, okay, I think I know enough. I think I can do this. I got to find the right people, and we got to we got to go for it. And I found Chris and Mike, my partners in crime, and we started out in 2008. I want to say so. We're almost two years old now. Wow! And accolades since your beginning there. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you know about the Wii, but when you go to the virtual store, I mean, when you go to the Wii Shop channel, you can actually scroll left and right. I just found this out recently, even though I've been reviewing yeah. downloadable arcade at home for quite a while. And I saw it's that new. it's a new feature. I see. I saw you are Bit Trip Beat is an acclaimed game, so that's that's fantastic. Oh, really? Yep, critically Dude, I acclaimed. Just I checked that like two days ago, and I didn't see that. I'm going to check that this morning, okay. right after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's well, exciting news. Yeah, it was it was there two weeks ago. So, oh, okay, great. Speaking of Bit Trip Beat, and I'm so thankful that who was it Nintendo when they wrote about I think Bit Trip Runner, they called Commander Video Captain Video. Oh, I know. Uh, guess they're big big fans of the Honeymooners or something or or that series. Yeah, no. And, and I'm, I'm kind of happy that a big company like Nintendo did it, because I think when I try to elude that we were going to have you on a show in my downloadable arcade at home breakout bonus level mini-sode, I think I called it Beat Trip Beat. That's what I called it. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a tongue twister for me. Uh, it is kind of a tongue twister. That's part of the fun. Yeah, the exactly. Now, starting with Bit Trip Beat, I think your games followed a separate branch of the evolutionary tree of video games. How did you reset on what you were going to give to the people in this Bit Trip series? What do you mean? Like from the beginning, how did we decide upon all of this or what? what? Well, it's sort of like an alternative Earth or something where <laughs> some technologies didn't progress while others did. Because, you know, right. like we, we had Tom Hewlett from Konami on and he brought back Rocket Knight. And that's like 2D on top of a 3D game. But mm-hmm. your creations are like 3D on top of a 2D world. But the 3D mm-hmm. looks like it belongs there. It's not like a, the opening video of a Saturday morning cartoon or something where you have traditional hand-drawn animation and then all of a sudden you got the CG bit thrown in there awkwardly. It really, right. it really all goes together. So, yeah. But it doesn't seem to follow the progression that other companies have. Like, okay, we're, we're going forward in technology. We put this in here. We add to it. We do this. Yours seem to have reset 
from zero and then just follow a completely different mindset, a completely different blueprint? Yeah, well, you're definitely right on the money there. At the beginning of the series, we were talking about you know, this sort of severely retro look we wanted where a lot of quote-unquote retro games kind of go back to the NES style, mm-hmm. and we wanted to take it even further back than that. I have a lot of classic games at home. I really like them. They're, you know, they're super blocky, the Atari 2600 or the Odyssey, you know, or the Bally Astrocade or whatever. Mm. We wanted to take it to that extreme, but at the same time, we realized that doing exactly that would be kind of lame. Like, no one wants to play games that are quite that crusty. So um, what we wanted to do, what we set out to do was create the games that you imagined in your head as you were playing these older games, like back in the day. Like, so for instance, I, I got Breakout, you know, when I was a kid and I looked at the box art and the box art blew my mind, you know, oh my God, do this astronaut and you're out there and you're breaking out of what? Oh man, it's awesome. And then you play the game and it's these little squares and it's slowly paced and, you know, and you're just like, this is so awesome. And it's because what you're seeing in your head is better than the game or it augments the game. I shouldn't say it's better than the game because the game is very, very good in and of itself, but it's, it's good because it allows you to, to imagine as well. And I think that a lot of new games kind of just hand it out to you. It's like, oh, this is what you should see and imagine, you know? So there's no active thought participation from the player. So we wanted to do something where it was like simple gameplay, very easy to wrap your head around. And then let's take the backgrounds and the special effects and let's try to realize them on the screen as you used to see them in your head when you were a child. And of course, what you get out of that is you get super wacky stuff that people don't know what it is and they have to think about it. And, and everyone's got their own opinions of what's going on in the BitTrip series. And I think that's wonderful because it's got people thinking. And that's kind of where we wanted to be. Was there ever any consideration in the beginnings to do the game entirely in watercolors? <laughs> that would have been so rad. You know, at the, at the very, very beginning, there was consideration given to making these games actually look like Atari 2600 games. And um, our artist looked at me and he was like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, nobody will buy that. And I was just kind of devastated. And I was like, no, man, it's going to be so awesome. And he said, no way. No. He put his foot down. And I'm glad he did. And um, our programmer, uh, he put his foot down in a few different ways as well. And, And I think if I had had my say, these games would be very different, still probably pretty good, but maybe they wouldn't have gotten the following that they've gotten. And that's part of why I like working with a team. You get different perspectives lead to different outcomes. And it ends up being better than it ever would have been anyhow. Right, right. Yeah. How about the ColecoVision? That was a little bit more advanced. It was. And in fact, the ColecoVision, I think there's something about it where it's got a certain fidelity that is too advanced for yeah. for me to consider an inspiration for this series. I see. I see. Uh, mind you, the ColecoVision is a great platform. You know, yeah. I, st- I still have one at home and Ladybug on the ColecoVision is top notch. I go back to that game, play that often. But uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of that's next gen. <laughs> it was. Right? It really <laughs> was. Yeah, a Jumpman Junior is something I could go back to, and, oh, and yeah. uh, Arctic Advent, the one with the penguin going in 3D, uh, even back then. Arctic Adventure. 
let's just talk about the series a little bit, and um, it, we start with Beat Trip. You did it. <laughs> I did it again. Bit Trip <laughs> Beat, and that, like you mentioned, has a pongy type of feel going on. And the great thing about it is, you tilt the controller. You brought the spinner knob. Mm-hmm. It, you sort of made that yeah. happening. That feel. Yeah, we um, we resurrected it. I, I, I'll tell you what, dude. I am so bummed that the spinner controller has died. Mm. There are so many more games that can be made in a genre that uses the spinner controller. Like that used to be a staple of video games back in the heyday, like in the golden age of video gaming, where has it gone? So I've always wanted to make a spinner game or a paddle game. And, uh, all of a sudden we found ourselves trying to make one and we prototyped a bunch of different control schemes and the Wii remote just felt perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad it worked out. Of course, another very important element of the whole Bit Trip series is the uh, integration of the audio and a soundtrack with this series. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know where this came from. I'd like to know, but one of the first games I played that integrated the music with what I was doing was Res. Oh yeah, uh, but Res to me was not about like a retro 3D type of uh, game. To me, Res was like a playable adaption of. Those CG studio music releases at the time, the the Mind's Eye and Beyond the Mind's Eye series. Oh yeah, yeah. And it also and another game that really integrated the music was, I guess, Mittner's Tempest Two Thousand. Mm-hmm. And talk about playing with a spinner knob. I of course had to modify my Jaguar controller to have the spinner knob in, and what a different experience that is. Does it work well? Oh, it works fantastic. Yeah, it's it's just like because you have to get the complete spinners from the Atari twenty six hundred, not the not the yeah. pots that stop at the end, the ones from right. the racing series. Right. And of course, probably have to clean them up because <laughs> they're a little bit dirty. And then mm-hmm. that whole casing can mount right on the back of the Jaguar controller, and it's just like a, a two or three solder points. What? And then, and yes, and then you just you press the uh, the secret code on your controller that allows for this spinner knob to be attached to it, which he knew that he wanted people to play with this. And you can no. screw it right into the back of the of the controller. And then when you're holding the controller, your two buttons are right on your left hand, I believe. So you can grip them and control the zapper while you're spinning. You are kidding me. You have to send me a link to this. Okay. Tempest 2000... We have it here in the office, and we did play a, a lot of it in, you know, sort of in the research phase for the Bit Trip series. It is one of my favorite games. I mean, Tempest is, if I were ever to get an arcade cabinet for the studio, it would have to be Tempest. I love that game so much. And playing it with a D pad sucks. Oh, yeah. So, and yet I do it because I want Tempest so badly. You know? <laughs> right. Sure, sure. Yeah, I had a big Tempest party release because when I got it, uh, it was so impressive to me that I, ah. I called a party that weekend just so we could all come over and have pizza and uh, and, and play Tempest. And we had oh, it blasting. Awesome. So, And I blast your games as well. Oh, good. Yeah, let's Thank talk. You. I'm glad you do. I, I think also, uh, they are they a distant cousin maybe of like the Rhythm Tengaku series at all? Oh, maybe. You know, I could see that happening, uh, or I, I could see that connection being made for sure. The big, or one of the big focuses of the BitTrip series, obviously, is the rhythm music integration. Mm-hmm. Parappa the Rapper changed my life and made me think of music in video games in a whole new way. 
Rez, of course, was also another huge inspiration. And when we set out to start the BitTrip series, we knew that a one-sided game of Pong was not enough of a hook for BitTrip Beat. And we also really were into this chip music genre of music, where people are making music from old video game consoles and stuff. And so we married the two together, and we got this rhythm, sort of rhythm music Pong. A lot of people have said it's Pong meets Rez, which is just so flattering to me because Rez is one of my favorite games ever. Mm. And yeah, so the the musical aspects became very, very important, and that's carried through the whole series, and it will continue to carry through the remaining games in the series too. Not to jump ahead too much, but the story that we're telling is um, you know is tied to sort of the rhythm of life, if you will, and and music, and I think rhythm and beats, syncopation and and melody and all of that is is a very very important part of life whether we realize it or not oh sure and then in bit trip core you had the moving four beams and you move the the beams around to where you want this uh, laser to go and i cannot for the life of me remember what game in the past i've played that was similar to this i can maybe take a couple guesses see okay. if it, see if it rings a bell <laughs> yeah um Cosmic Arc? Ah, that was it. That was it. Is that it? I believe, yeah. So Cosmic Arc is one of my favorite 2600 games, not just because of the gameplay, although the gameplay is very good, but because of the theme. I think it's pretty funny. You're these aliens and you're abducting people and animals and stuff, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, As we start each game, we try to look at inspiration in a lot of old classics to see how simple we can make the gameplay in each of our games, you know, and try to boil it down. Like, okay, what's the what's the simplest thing we can do? And in Bitrip Core, the the design at the beginning was was a little bit more complex. And playing some of these old games like Cosmic Arc, and then even playing some new games like Guitar Hero, uh, yeah. really really helped steer us in the direction that Bitrip Core ended up in. You said boiling down the gameplay, making it simple, but bringing in incredible challenge and the complexity uh, that's going on behind it. Like, I I mean, I could not imagine actually making a song out of all these hits. It's, (laughs) I I can't even fathom that process. It just seems so overly complex. It's pretty wild. It's It's a different process in making games it's certainly something i've never done before in my career and um and it is a huge challenge for us but we work with a fantastic composer and sound engineer at a company called petrified productions uh, we contract with them for all of our in-game music and sound effects and the folks we work with there are just spot on they they help us out a lot and i, see. I, I think that's important in a rhythm music series you know you need to have somebody strong doing sure. that kind of stuff sure also, BitTrip Void was next. Now, you build your void. I mean, when mm-hmm. has this ever happened where you play the negative space of the game? Yeah, and the game wasn't like that at first. It was super colorful, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Uh, you should see our concept art. Um, <laughs> if I remember, I'll, I'll try to send one over to you um, in an email. But at some point in the game, we realized there was just it was just too busy visually. Mm. And our artist made everything black and white to kind of do some color value stuff. And we looked at it and we just thought, whoa, this is something special here. And then that's that's how it happened. And 
In fact, the theme of Void fits very well to the, to the artistic style that we landed on, way better than it did with the colorful thing. And the theme is basically you're trying to, or you're following Commander Video's story through all of these games, right? And in Void, he is learning what it means to expand his, sort of his quote-unquote void, like the space around you, the, the emotional space that everybody has, and you try different things, and you have different experiences and they make you grow and some of them are bad experiences and they make you shrink you know and it's this risk versus reward how Mm. how cocky do i want to be greedy how you know how big do i want to get and all of that and um just turning it into this black void made it feel like something indescribable which really is these feelings that you have as a human you can't really describe that but it still exists so that's how we ended up there. It's it's amazing uh, that we we've had a couple developers that develop the older school type of feel of games, and those seem to be the deepest thought out games. It's it's really it's really something. As you whittle them down, you come to a more deeper core, uh, if you will. And now, of course, a release of Bit Trip Runner, which really, uh, you know, I mean, we we see Commander Video in action here. He really gets a going. I think it's interesting because all the old games back when I was young, they were very high concept. And like you were just saying, where they like some of the some of these minimalist games are the most thought out. And I think that they kind of have to be because there's nothing else there. So it's like I can't rely on gray aliens shooting at my gray space marines in gray environments that are hyper realistic and everyone's swearing and bleeding and shooting. You know, it's like we don't have all of that to fall back on. You know, we've got some dots. So how can we make these dots compelling? Well, we can make a, a very interesting backstory there. And I think that people in the heyday of the arcades did that as well. You know, I remember um, Beanie Bopper on the Atari 2600. Like I'm, a, I'm a, an olive or an eyeball or whatever I am shooting <laughs> beams at propeller beanies and coat hangers and things. And it's like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. You know, and it's very creative and, and exciting. And Working our way up through this high concept stuff led to the to the um, sort of obvious next step, which is becoming a little bit more literal. And in Commander Video's growth as a human, it seemed like an obvious next step as well. So from the story aspect, so he's, you know, sort of he became in Bitrip Beat, um, whereas he was dead before, then he wasn't kind of like I was at the beginning of the podcast. I'm right. talking about that. Then in core, he was basically built, I would say. Um, he became physical. Then in void, he became um, mentally aware. Now in runner, he has to become a master of his environment. You know, we all do. Once we grow up and we master all of these things, we have to go out into the world and make something of ourselves. And so that's what runner is all about. And we wanted to keep the retro style, of course. Old platformers were very precious um, and uh, arguably better than new platforms. I would platformers, I would say. And so we wanted to keep this very simple vibe, but make it very frantic, really fast-paced, yet not super punishing. And I hope it feels that way. You can tell me uh, since you've played it, but. 
that's what we're going for with runner yeah yeah i, th- I think it's i think it's a very nice balance uh, just challenging enough and definitely you know above the casual experience as well but but open uh, you know very open i i believe in and you get the nostalgic feel as well so it's everything it runs the gamut of old to new games and i think that's what all your titles do just one quick question you you worked for activision a little bit we see the radioactive gold bars in bit trip runner what were those radioactive turds in keystone caper man the radioactive turds in keystone caper i think they were radioactive turds <laughs> i that's all i could come up <laughs> that's all i could come up with uh, i mean what is more scary than a radioactive turd i would jump over that you <laughs> Yeah, because if I don't, it goes bong with a little bit exactly. of reverb on it. Now, uh, you can find all of these titles in the Nintendo... St- I can't even remember the name of that. The Wii Shop st- channel? Yeah, the Wii Shop channel under the WiiWare section. But you have to look for Axis. What's that about? Um, Axis is our publisher. Okay, very good. Yeah, so they're all under Axis Games, or you can just search for BitTrip by title, and you'll find all the games. Okay, fantastic. I would, I would encourage people to start at the beginning with BitTrip Beat and move on from there, but uh, but at the same time, if more character-based adventure floats your boat, then maybe start with the most recent offering, which is BitTrip Runner. Fantastic. Well, Alex, we'll have to have you back on to talk about WarioWare Do-It-Yourself and your uh, your exploration of that and maybe even hit on your paper craft uh, yeah. of uh, of commander video uh thank you so very much for joining us on we talk game it's been a blast great thank you very much i'd love to be back on again right on man bye-bye Bye. now that was a great interview and a great series i really look forward to having them back on the show hey let's open it up for eric alex big capital of wisconsin eric alex Wiggly. Now, I, before we get started, Eric, Alex, I know EA. Can I call you EA? Sure. Uh, no, then I think of Emily Autumn, and then it spoils all of my um, personal time, let's say. Uh, yeah. But uh, speaking of personal time, I know that you're a fan of the pro wrestling that goes on. Uh, occasionally. Yeah, but uh, especially maybe the, the older style stuff, the old old school stuff, back when it wasn't the World Wildlife Federation and things like this. <laughs> and I, I was just playing stinky in a round of WWF WrestleFest, try to get some of my aggressions out on them. We were just doing two-on-two. It was my team, which I picked. Sometimes you, you're just A, crazy, and just pick somebody you don't want. So, unfortunately, I picked Hulk Hogan, but then I teamed him up with the Mr. Perfect. And I was taking on Stinky's big boss man teaming up with Earthquake. And I was just thinking to myself, man, isn't it a shame that all these guys are dead now? <laughs> so what do you got for us uh, this month here? Eric Alex, first of all, it's great to have you back on. I'm, I'm glad that you're, I always am excited to uh, get you on the line when Keith has you in the queue there. So what do we got for this month? Well, I've been playing a couple of games. I tried out Dungeons & Dragons Online which is another MMO. Ah, okay. Now, I was just playing Dungeons & Dragons, Blatonia. I can't remember what the... <laughs> Legends of Sardonia. I can't recall exactly. Was, it the, uh, was, it, was that the Capcom uh, 
Final Flight clone? Yeah, that was it. That was the one. And and you go around collecting money. Now, I think that... Those were uh, neat games. Yeah, that, w- that was really cool. I think that our, our, that our very own Johnny Capcom uh, spent far too many hours playing that in the arcades. And I can see why. It's, it's very addicting just to go around and pick up the dime that falls out of a treasure chest. Yep. <laughs> yeah, th- no, those were, those were a lot of fun. Uh, for being from a Japanese company, they got a lot of the, the D&D tropes correct in them sure and uh, i was and, a fan and also the bondage anime girls <laughs> who would have thought well, well yeah that's not really a, a feature of D lately it, it, it is not huh oh you would think so from the old 1980s cover art of the D books but what's what's the online like now you say this is a morpiga yeah and it, it started out as a uh, a standard mmo uh, with a subscription fee but they went free they went oh. free to play, and they make their money through microtransactions. I guess this is what is called freemium. Where yes. that would be an app description. Okay, so so you can play it for free, but then you make in-game purchases and things like this. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of premium content that you can work towards getting access to by doing things in the game, or if you're lazy or you want a quick fix. You can buy it. Exactly. You don't have to wait the time to do it or do the tasks to do it. Very good, very good. Now, yeah. it, Now, is there a dungeon master? How does this work? There is a dungeon master, but it's not a player. Okay. It's actually one of the things that I really liked about the game. Okay. You start off, actually, if, uh, if you've ever tried the Age of Conan MMO, which I can't recommend. Right. Uh, it starts off identically. You're, you, you're in a shipwreck. You wash up on shore. You've lost all your possessions. And then you meet a halfling of exposition who tells you what's going on. And then you go off on your first quest. So when you enter the first dungeon, I was surprised because the game has some recorded speech. And as I entered the first dungeon, this man's voice comes on. He says something like, you see a dimly lit cavern before you. Is this where you were looking for? Hmm. And then I looked down at the chat box. And it's, uh, it's labeled that guy as Dungeon Master. <laughs> Great. It's kind of kitschy, but it really adds something. Because every time you enter some sort of unique area, this guy comes on and tells you something that they can't really get across in the graphics. Like, you, you feel a cool breeze across the back of your arm. You wow. Know? Crazy description stuff. That's really cool. Now, how do you get your main character? Do you decide in advance, I want to be an elf, I want to be an elf knight mohawk, I want to be this, that? How, how do you start to make your character? Do you roll, see how many hit points you have? Well, it uses the point-by system, which is, um, it became more popular in later editions of D&D. Like the third edition and the fourth edition both have point-purchase stats as a default. And the game actually stays pretty pretty faithful to 3rd edition Dungeons & Dragons, the uh, tabletop RPG. Okay. So the rules are you pick a race, you pick a class, you get your stats together, you pick some feats, and uh, you go off into the adventuring wilderness. Now, how is this presented? In first person or third person? No, it's a third person game. What else would it be like for people to try to entice them to go there? Well, I, I hear, according to them, the people that make Dungeons & Dragons online, they, uh, they are now the go-to people for people who have grown bored with World of Warcraft. Okay. It is very MMO-esque. 
you'll go into a dungeon, you and a group of friends can go together, you'll fight your way through it. One of the things I really like about it is there's a, a lot of, well, I would call it Gygaxian goofiness in this game. Uh, there, there, the guy that made Dungeons & Dragons back in the 70s, his name was Gary Gygax, okay. and he liked to put a bunch of goofy stuff in every adventure he designed. Like he designed the the rust monster, who was uh, like an armadillo that rusts your plate mail. Oh, right, right, sure. There's a ton of stupid crap like that <laughs> in this game, huh. and it really brings it home that hey, this is Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm playing it. But there's good graphics, and it's a nice video game. It's it's kind of an action game, and it's a lot of fun. I'm going to have to get out my C64, I think, and throw in some of my old uh, versions of that in there just to try to get warmed up on the floppy disks. Yeah, the Pool of Radiance, eh? <laughs> Definitely. All right. See, though, those were good games, too. I, I wish there was another game that just took the straight-up rules mm. from Dungeons & Dragons and laid it out with shiny graphics like they did back in the day on right. the 64. Now, I know that you've been playing another game, and this this one's a big popular one. Now, normally we don't go into the more popular games, because you know, pretty much you can hear that on just about any other show. But I think this game definitely draws on a franchise that has existed before, and I want to bring Kirby on the line with you to talk about this title. Sure. Minneapolis! Now, did Minneapolis ever meet Wisconsin? I'm not sure. Uh, they fight over an axe every year. <laughs> There's a big old battle royale in a giant backyard somewhere. Oh, I'm sorry, Kirby. You've missed all the wrestling talk. We've moved on. Now, let's talk about a game that you both have spent some time. Now, Eric, Alex, I know that you haven't played this very much, but I'd like to get your first impressions, and then hopefully Kirby can wrap it up with his take on this and also a little bit deeper into the gameplay. But first, because you both wanted to talk about Red Dead Redemption, I, of course, had to break out my original Xbox and play Red Dead Revolver. One of my favorite games from that era. Is it really? I never played that one. Does this carry on with that character? Because it looks like it did from the previews of it I saw on television. It's more of a spiritual successor, really, than anything. It doesn't directly connect the story from Red Dead Revolver to Red Dead Redemption. Okay, and I never finished Red Dead Revolver, uh, but you know, I, I did get right. I did get pretty good at it, and uh, I definitely enjoyed it. But it was very linear. Now, I guess this takes a more open world approach. It's a ridiculously yeah. open world. <laughs> okay. And I know that a lot of our members of We Talk Games social community network at wetalkgames.com have been really enjoying this title and doing different things and trying to achieve different things and different... Um... There's a lot to do in this game. That's good. It That's... is enormous. There, You never feel like you go somewhere and you're like, all right, now what do I do? There's always something to be done. Eric, Alex, what, do you, what, did, what were your first impressions of this? Why did you pick it up? I'm a big fan of westerns. It actually kind of dates back to when I was in college. We were playing an RPG, another tabletop RPG called Deadlands, mm. which is a, a western RPG. We got kind of, my, my close circle of friends and I, we kind of all got into westerns for a while. We saw all the old classics. and The spaghetti westerns? Yeah. Yep. We saw all those, a couple of John Wayne movies, you know. The shootest? Uh, I didn't see that one. I saw True Grit and... Uh, the Unforgiven. And... you got to see the shootest, because, you know, Scatman Carruthers and John Wayne 
plays a John Wayne character. It's 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 truly amazing. So uh, okay. check that out, and hopefully that becomes a game. So you were drawn to this because you're a big fan of westerns, and how did this right. how did this deliver for you as far as coming from a movie cinema style western background? It's very cinematic, especially when you first start the game. Your character gets off a train. And then you get on a horse, and you and some guy ride off into the sunset. And the sunset is spectacular and gorgeous. This is amazing graphics. And the animation is dead on. For a while, it looked real at the very beginning of the game. Wow. It's a lot like Grand Theft Auto. It's set up about the same way. You'll look at your mini-map and see that there's a mission to go be had. Or you can do what I always do in Grand Theft Auto, and wander off the beaten track and see what's laying around. And is that what you've spent most of your time doing? Yeah, you can screw around to an epic degree in this game if you avoid the plot. You can spend hours just playing poker or liar's dice or blackjack, a Mm. mumbly peg. There's just crazy numbers of mini-games to go off and find. There's a bunch of challenges to do, like hunting challenges, Mm. where you wander off into the wilderness and butcher some innocent livestock. <laughs> some of which aren't quite so innocent, by the way. <laughs> right. I, guess I heard about bears or something, right? Yes, bears. bears those stealthy bears get me every time. <laughs> it sounds like this has a, a ton more research than was ever portrayed to me uh, that went into this title. I, I I didn't expect that that depth of research to have gone into it. I mean, it looks very interesting. I hope to get it down the road, but... Uh, just from that brief description, it's pretty much beyond what I, I would have expected from it. It's one of those things. I mean, the game is has so much content. Like, I think I'm 15 hours in. I'm still not out of the tutorial. It's still <laughs> popping up new things I can do when I'm wandering around. That's funny. That's funny. Of course, everyone will make the comparison to Grand Theft Auto because it's by the makers of Grand Theft Auto, and it's uh, open world and things like this, and they built on that type of ideology, I guess, uh, with this facelift put on, a massive facelift put on it. Uh, but are there any things like tuning into radio, like you go and you put in a piano roll or something and listen to <laughs> <laughs> listen to 1800s tunes on a player no, piano? No, the music is uh, is canned and appears in when it's context-sensitive. Okay, well, then maybe that'll be some type of DLC in the future. You could buy piano rolls, and then you, you press the <laughs> left and right triggers to actually pump the player piano. Uh, only I'm old enough. Me and Stinky are the only two old enough to remember when you didn't have electric player pianos. You actually had to pump the billows down below. <laughs> I have not seen that. Okay, well, there's an idea for you, Rockstar. Take me up on it. Now, Kirby, you tell me, you know, you've been really diving into this, probably immersing yourself in this for the past since it's been released. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I have been doing nothing but this game. My playtime has actually gone into the days rather than hours now. <laughs> Is there some type of bladder achievement you can... No, no, no bladder of steel. Okay. No, it doesn't go that deep into it. All right. Do they bring any of the elements of Red Dead Revolver, like the slow motion? I can't even remember what that was called. Yep, they do bring back the Red Dead Revolver dueling mechanic. It's called Dead Eye. Oh, the dueling, okay. Yep, it it works very similar where time slows down. You pick certain spots on your guy, and if you do it right, then you shoot them all in succession. Although in this one, I remember in Red Dead Revolver, it was actually pretty easy to pick up on. This one, 
even as far into the game as I am, I'm still having a lot of trouble with duels. Hmm. It's never explained very well. That's one of the few flaws this game has. I've had to go online and actually find guides and how to successfully do it. And even then, I have trouble. It's pretty difficult. I don't really get what they're going for in it, actually. It seems kind of random. You either win or you don't win. Well, there are certain things. There are certain duels that you have to kill your opponent, but there are other ones where you can disarm them, and that's actually a better outcome. Ah. Which is far harder to do than just shooting them in the face. <laughs> yeah, I remember you used to do gut shots in the first one, and you could. I, I thought I saw chunks of intestines coming out. I, I, I might have, you know, it might have been just a random polygon, but that's what it looked like to me. Speaking of that, this is one of the first games that I can remember that's actually shown exit wounds. Okay. It's kind of gory, but there was a moment where, first of all, you have a lasso. So if you want to, say, like take somebody alive instead of killing them, you can lasso them up hog tie and put them on the back of your horse, carry them back into town, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. There was one scenario where I was playing poker and I got beaten, so I hog tie the guy, take him off in the middle of the wilderness, and shoot him in the head. <laughs> I'm a really sore loser. And uh, I look on the back of his head, There's you can actually see like brains and oh gut come out of the back of his head. Good crazy. Now, is there a part where you pull down your neckerchief and you can see the rope burns there where the town had tried to hang you in years prior? No, there is not. Your guy uh, does have scars on his face, like so many protagonists do. Sure. Anything else in the game that uh, strikes you as particularly surprising, like you didn't expect? I could go on about this game for hours. It has one of the most immersive and accurate well, quote-unquote accurate. I wasn't alive 100 years ago, so I'm assuming it's accurate. But the game world is just so realistic, and it's so cool. You can go around, you can hunt wildlife. It feels like a living, breathing thing that you're immersing yourself in. How about and taking a bath in a, in a metal tub? Well, that's actually interesting. As everyone was 100 years ago, you're afraid of water. You go, like, shin-deep in water, and you drown somehow. So... <laughs> So I don't think you'd be taking a bath anytime soon. Rockstar kind of backstepped, backpedaled on that. I see. Hmm. That is uh, that is irritating. You can't even take your horse across a shallow river. Hmm. No, no. There's one point towards the end of the game where you can. But even sometimes you get off your horse, your horse will wander into a river and just die. Now, wait a minute. Towards <laughs> the end of the game? What are you talking about? You've played it that far? Yep, I am. There is a percentage meter. I am 80-something percent of the way through it. So. Oh, wow. Holy mackerel, Annie. There are quite a few things I can talk about. There are challenges, like Eric mentioned earlier. There are uh, four different challenge tracks. There is the Master Hunter, which is hunting wildlife. Treasure Hunter, which is reading maps, going and finding hidden treasure. Survivalist, which is basically go around and picking flowers. And then Sharpshooting, which is like shooting birds out of the sky and shooting hats off of people's heads. <laughs> And just today, I've been working quite a, quite hard on getting to the, the end of all of these challenges, and you unlock an extra outfit for your character. Wow. There, I think the, the treasure hunter challenges are pretty fun. I actually had to look up online how to do them, because I didn't quite... It gives you a map, and it shows you, like, a tree and a rock. You're supposed to find out where that is. Yeah, you, you kind of stumble across that tree, and then you're like, hey, I've seen this before. Is it a big swirly dotted line that leads from the rock to the tree or no? Well, the tree has a noose hanging off of it, and that's what kind of triggers it in your head. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Where have I seen this before? And I you see. take your map out, check it out, and it's like, oh, 
and then you have to wander around. And in my case, you wander around for four, eight hours trying to find the, the treasure. You forget what you're doing. You do other things. Yeah, people attack you. You wander off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess you just look up where everything is on YouTube. I see. Now you don't go fishing in this game, though. I get. I take it. No, there's no fishing. Okay. One interesting aspect of it is when you shoot a particular quote-unquote harmless wildlife, you can skin it and take its fur or meat or whatever. Or in the case of birds, you can take their feathers. Do you sell that? Yep, you sell that. That is what you use. Uh, you can. That's one way to earn money in the game. Okay. Of which you earn exuberant amounts, way more than you would ever need. Bought everything there is to purchase, and I have well over $5,000. Wow. Which okay. is a lot of money back in 1911, which I think is when the game is set. That's an interesting point, actually. Like, 1911 hmm. is later yes, than a lot of... Uh, kind of yeah. Yeah. Yeah, usually you think they're around 1888, 1890. Yeah. yeah. Is there any saloon dancing that you have to do the, you know, DDR type of presses, as in <laughs> the Grand Thefts when you would go into discotheque, or no? That would be pretty funny, actually, but no. You can go into a saloon and get drunk and... That has a very interesting, you know, drunk stumbling around, falling down the stairs sort of aspect to it. Very good. Very good. I take it there's no blazing saddles type of things going on. <laughs> no, no. You don't gather around a campfire and, and toot. Well, actually, <laughs> one big part of the game, there are these random encounters that happen throughout the world. But most of the time, it's people saying, help, these thieves took off with my horse and you have to go capture it and give it back to them. But sometimes there are just people with camps sitting out in the middle of the wilderness, and you can go down and just sit and drink with them, and they'll tell you stories and whatnot. So, mm, okay, well then that works in part of the other elements that you know, like sitting around watching television. That would be, I guess, akin to that in the Grand Theft Auto series. The multiplayer is another aspect of this game that is very similar to Grand Theft Auto Four. It's a big free roaming world, and it's there's up to sixteen players, and you can just wander around. And the interesting thing about it, there are your traditional team death matches and capture the flag type of games, but you access them by going to certain points in the map and starting up the game itself. One of the cool things about it is there are NPC challenges in multiplayer. As opposed to just going around shooting other players, you can go take out gang hideouts, which are populated by other NPCs oh. in the multiplayer. Are there a lot of people online doing this? There are quite a few. There's a lot. There's a big community... Uh, the first day that it was out, multiplayer was basically broken. There were lots of glitches, and people were disappearing. Guns and horses were disappearing, but they've hammered all that now, and there's a pretty good online community out there. Oh, great. Most of which are just jerks killing you and taking your reward from you. But <laughs> that, was, uh, that was my experience with my very brief foray into multiplayer. I entered Free Realm, and there was a guy camped out in town. Oh, killing all the other players as they wandered up to the town. Oh, my. Spawning snipers. Yep. Cheap. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Even in the Old West. That brings into another interesting thing where if you kill enough law enforcement, enough innocent NPCs, you earn a bounty on your head. And if you the bounty gets high enough, you become a public enemy. And if another player comes and takes you out, they get a reward for doing so. I see. All right, fellas. Yeah. Well, I think you sold me on the game. Uh, I, I might have to just watch for it to dip in price, you know, 10 or 15 bucks one day, and maybe I'll pick it up before it is on the discount shelf. All right. Yeah, I could talk about this game for hours and hours, but I'm sure we 
have a time constraints here and whatnot. So yeah, we got to move <laughs> on. We got to move on. Talk about some old things for for the CDI and the Fairchild Channel F. So the what now? <laughs> Fairchild Channel F. Come on, don't you play the video movie, games? Isn't that a horror movie or something? I don't think so. No, not anymore. Isn't it a really bizarre Dreamcast game? No, but uh, I, I, you're th- you're thinking of Space Channel Five, I think. <laughs> yes. Okay, very good. And Space Channel Five too, which was even harder to come by. Hey guys, thank you very much uh, for joining me on this month's We Talk Games. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Adios, Wiggly. Eric, Alex, and Kirby. I can't wait till they have their own breakout bonus level. It's sort of like the Stinky Ouch Show, except it has the Minnesota Wisconsin undertones. And speaking of undertones, over, under, through, let's go all the way over to Ireland. Let's get Johnny Capcom on the line. Anascarthy, go, go. Hey, I see that you're handling the article section. You're the junior editor for WeTalkGames.com. I've been throwing articles up there, and obviously I'd like to invite everybody to check out what's already up there. There's uh, two articles by myself and uh, one by Dan, also known as Double H 2 News. And uh, we got articles coming up from 2PyR and a buddy of mine called uh, Rick Bockwinkle, who's fictionally famous. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to put it out there. I'd like some more people to come on and write stuff for us. If anyone at all is interested in adding articles to the website, just uh, go to wetalkgames.com, sign up, and then just uh, email me and uh, let me know if you'd be interested in writing an article for us every now and then because uh, we're going to try and keep an article up every Monday, and I'd like to have a few more people on board just to take the workload off uh, the rest of us. So sure, if anyone's sure. interested, just let me know. Yeah, you know, our merger with Video Power Magazine is bearing wonderful fruits. Definitely. Right you on. Know, keeping up the old print end. Yes, sir. So, now, what you got this month? Um, well, uh, I actually got a couple of request reviews. Oh. I want to break, get out of the way. And I, do re- I want to get them out of the way because I've been sitting on them for the last two or three months now. <laughs> and uh, the first one I couldn't play because it was a gift from... Uh, Kyle. Oh, okay. And uh, it was uh, a PlayStation 2 game called Ford vs. Chevy USA, I think it was called. <laughs> Sounds and, great. Know, the two big American car companies. Sure. You know, the, with the most American racing game I've ever seen. And I don't think the reason this game wouldn't play was because of region lockout. I just don't think it wanted to play on my Kami Pinko <laughs> European PS2. You're, you're too sympathetic towards other nations. Yeah, and uh, you know it just didn't want any part of that. But uh, but I mean, I looked through the book, and there was about 15 people on the quality assurance team, so it must be good. You know? <laughs> now, what would be the Ireland equivalent of this game? What what type of game could the big Irish industries get behind to release for the PS2? Is it was a PS1 or PS2? PS2. Okay, very good. I guess it would be DeLorean Racer. Ah, well, now that, see, now that's already a winner. Unfortunately, the DeLorean company died in its arse, but, sure. you know, it was here. <laughs> yes, and uh, never rusted. Now, if it was a more realistic Ford and Chevy game, it would all be like minivans racing against each other, I guess. Yeah, uh, I read the backstory. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a backstory. It, uh, it's about two guys, one guy had a car... And he said it was the fastest, 
And then another guy said, no, my car is the fastest. Okay. And apparently there's a national road race or something like that. But uh, I, I got confused then because, again, I, I, I'm a little bit too communist. But, <laughs> I think uh, this was also released as the Dukes of Hazard game because it sounds yes, like... Yes, it was indeed, yeah. Okay. That was the Dixie edition. Very good. But, um, Kyle also sent me Mega Man Battle Network uh, White, I think it was called. <laughs> all, I, all I've got to say is, surely Mega Man's got something better to do than killing spam emails or whatever he's doing in this mess of a game. And walking around the HQ. Yeah, he's walking around like a DSL building or he's in uh, Dr. Wiley's Wi-Fi network yeah. and he's he's fighting uh, C++ code or <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, he didn't last too long with it. Uh, the cartridge, though, really holds uh, some paper down really well for me. You know, so it's good in that respect. Very good. You know, I, I'm not surprised at the fact Kyle would send it to you. But what I need to know is, why, why did Kyle have that in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a question that I'm sure only he can I've actually got another Mega Man thing here, and it's not specifically a game. It's a toy that I was given by a friend of mine, Liam. And uh, it's a Mega Man NT Warrior, which it's like a Tamagotchi style thing. It's got a thing with it that looks like it's called a battleship. It looks like a really tiny Hue card, you know, from the Turbo Graphics, from sure. best I can tell. And um, you get a little toy, and then you can fight with them or something. Uh, I have no idea what it does. I've never seen it other than when he hands it to me. So if actually, if anyone out there has got some information. By all means, let me know what it is, so maybe I can play with it someday. Well, but, did you uh, turn it on, or I mean, does it have a battery in it? No, uh, I think you buy the uh, console, you play it on. Oh, separately. oh, I see. You just have the chip for it. Yeah. Okay. With the little toy next to it. Well, I have a Yoda Tamagotchi type thing. I don't know. Maybe you can like exacto knife cut a hole in it and try to shove that chip in there, but I doubt that would work. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if uh, Battle Network has got anything to go by, you know, Mega Man wouldn't be fighting around Yoda. He'd probably run for a seat in the Senate, just like in the, you know, in the Super Trilogy that came out a few years ago. Right. Well, the original yeah. Yoda didn't have knees. He's just a, you know, a hand puppet, so maybe yeah. you can get along with uh, Mega Man there and his lack oh, of yeah. knees as totally. well. The Kneeless Society. Well, besides embarrassing PS2 games out of the United States, what else we got? One last game, I, uh, just a quick, it was a request thing. He probably doesn't even remember it, but uh, our uh, esteemed listener, Ken, Mr. Fabersham. Ah, yes. He uh, asked me to play Darkman for the NES. <laughs> right. Oh, for the NES. Yeah, it sucks. That's it. But uh, <laughs> it was terrible. Because I remember when Darkman came out, oh, what did it come out for? Was it the original Xbox or was it the PS1? Or the PS2, but it actually wasn't that bad. I mean, a lot of people were jumping on the Darkman release. I, I need to remember what that was for. Well, this is for the NES, and I honestly couldn't tell the difference between the background sprites and the character I was moving. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there you go. Fantastic. But, uh, you know, on to like, more current uh, games. Uh, I picked up uh, Batman Arkham Asylum Game of the Year Edition. Okay. If you don't own the game, this is the one to go for because you get extra maps and whatever. But uh, the thing I really want to talk about is the 3D. Yeah, I, I read on the We Talk Game social media networking site that you got to play the 3D version. Yeah, and it works. That's okay. the crazy thing. I expected a mess, but I wanted the nice box with the holograph on it. 
it really, really does work. And uh, I, I mean, I was marking out for it. I was, <laughs> you know, sitting there. Uh, there was one bit at the beginning where the Batmobile drives by and it sends a bunch of leaves up in the air and it looked like the leaves were coming out of my TV. And uh, I, was, I was like, wow, look at that. But uh, I didn't get into the gameplay. So, uh, but uh, I did some blurring occurs, you know, in the background and stuff. Oh, I see. So, so uh, I'm not sure how that would fare once you get into the heavy combat sections of the game. But it did look nice, you know. But I can't imagine I'd be however many hours it takes to beat that game with a pair of friggin' cardboard glasses on, you know. Now, does it, did it come with glasses? Does it oh, allow? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, and and how many oh, that's pairs? One, that's one of the best parts, all right? It comes with a pair of Batman glasses <laughs> and a pair of Joker glasses. Oh, neat, neat, neat. So, uh, I mean, I really looked at it, and I was like, even if it doesn't work, it's going to be a nice gimmick to have, you know, in years to come. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. It it appears that Darkman only came out for the NES, the Game Boy, and I think maybe the Armstrad or something. Yeah, the Armstrad and the the C64. It was developed by Ocean Software. And and all I got to say to that is, I'm Darkman. Or uh, was it? Uh, oh, I can't repeat it, unfortunately. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite line from Darkman is, uh, "Take the the word you can't say, elephant." Uh, I also, and I'm going to dedicate the next uh, three bits that I have to, uh, you know, our uh, alumnus Ralph Lewis because uh-huh. he loves the, the this company so much. But uh, and that's I've been playing a lot of Nintendo games. Okay. And uh, I've been playing a lot of Zelda: Twilight Princess for the uh, Wii, and uh, you might have seen my multiple updates that I put on the Wii Talk Games boards. Yep. Or page. And, uh, I mean, I've dropped close to 40 hours into that game at the moment, and it's a pleasure. From beginning to end, it's huge. It, it looks gorgeous, you know? I mean, it took me a while to kind of appreciate it again, because um, I'm used to the HD games and all now. Sure, sure. And, uh, and, you know, and you're looking at that world, and it's definitely not HD. But once your eyes readjust, I mean, it's a beautiful looking game. And you know, when you find secret things and secret chambers and secret passages and whatever in a Zelda game, it really feels like you're the first person to be there in a hundred years or something. You know, well put. And uh, it's just it's it's nice. I, I like that game a lot. And uh, I started playing it after I finished Super Mario Galaxy. Okay. Now, when you say you finished it, did you get every single coin, or did you just make it to the end? No, I just made it to the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a, um, a heck of a time. I, I, I dread even going back to it to try to get collect all the coins. It's just it's very difficult from there on. Yeah, well, I'll never do that because I hate those friggin' speedy comets. Ah, uh, yes. I don't, I don't like them. I, I'm not interested. As far as I'm concerned, Luigi can just stay on the spaceship. <laughs> But, well, um, there's a there's a lot of levels where you almost get to the end of a very very long level with lots of long high cliffs and things like this, and then you'll fall off near the finish line near the end yeah. of it, and you just are upset and you cry. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing is, the last level is insane in that game. Mm. I mean, the the gravity tricks it plays on you, all of that, and like it took me hours to get to the last level at the end of the last level you know i was trying for so long and then you get to bowser and he's a pushover <laughs> yeah, yeah you know yeah. i beat bowser like first goal and i was kind of like eh, okay i actually think i i must have gotten lucky towards the end there because the the last levels i did pretty well i think i made them through a lot of them just on the first try so i must have gotten incredibly lucky 
Yeah, I mean, that can happen. Like, Yeah, exactly. You never know. The one thing I will say about Mario Galaxy, the music in that game just makes me want to jump up and smile stuff. You know, it's just such cheery music, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a very light game. Uh, yeah. So I, I like, I really like that series. But I'm looking forward to the second one that's coming up. I think we got to wait a little, we, we got to wait like two weeks. I see, I see. We gotta, but uh, I also picked up WarioWare DIY. And um, I would like to have had more time with us, but I've been pouring so much of my time into Zelda and other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I, I It's open. It's wonderful. It's, you know, you can just truly do whatever you like. If you want to get into game creation or whatever, I guess this would be a really great place to start. But obviously Kyle talked more in depth about it because he got to do it. And uh, the last game, I literally picked it up last night, would be uh, Bit Trip Runner. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, we, of course, we had the creator of that on the show today. Oh, yeah, and um, it's really good. For some reason, the music kind of reminds me of Joy Division. Mm. Uh, like a cross between, actually, Joy Division and New Order without the suicide and all that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, you know... From Mario to suicide. That's, that's a great segue. But look, it's just it does. It reminds me of, it. and I love. I, mean, I love the little Activision touches to it. Mm, you know, definitely. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the, this where you have to jump up the four stairs. <laughs> we talked about that. Yes, you that have makes to... me want. That makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> yes, you, you you definitely have to find the rhythm of the steps. Then they're pretty easy. Then they're then they're easy. But it does take a while to get used to those stairs, and just getting sent back to the very beginning of the level is yeah. you know no save points along the way it makes it for a very challenging game and it's quite different i think than the rest of the bit trip series so if you've only picked up runner and you never played any of the other bit trip i i say uh, you know go back to the beginning because they're quite different feels and different types of games the stairs actually the only way i've been able to beat it is if i close my eyes before i come up to it and go by the rhythm Gotcha, gotcha. If I if I look at it, I fail. Yeah, you know uh, that's one interesting aspect of Bit Trip Runner is that at times you forget that it is a rhythm game, like the others in the in the series. Yeah. With the other games in the series, it's obvious that the music and the games are all part of the same thing. And and in Runner, of course, you realize that it's more rhythmic and you're making notes as you go but it's sometimes easy to forget that you're actually making that music that's happening yeah that's really cool especially when you you get the uh, the only thing that happens to me is i get the pad and i keep on making them wanting to move back and stuff you know? ah gotcha because gotcha. it feels like a platformer but obviously it isn't traditionally or it isn't a traditional platformer but uh, i really dig it and uh i've only got into the first couple uh levels with it but i'm um, just I, I actually i'm running out of space on my Wii at the moment i got like 57 blocks left sure sure yeah but, it's uh, it's a platformer on rails but yeah, in a totally. good way and it's it's like if you like uh cannibal and stuff like that i'm sure you dig it but you know it's less judging the distance is more listening out for what you got to do definitely definitely all right, man. Hey, well, stick around. Uh, the council is coming up, I think, next. I don't know. I don't have the sheet, but uh, I'm sure that Keith will let me know what's going on here. Okay. All right, man. All right, see Bye. you later. Johnny Capcom, junior editor at WeTalkGames.com. Yeah, Video Power Magazine has really made a difference when they were absorbed by WTG. All right, Keith, we have Rachel Moore, Johnny Capcom, and Kavon Kubik on the line. Let's open up the council. Ready? Two, two. 
Welcome, Council. Now, today, the Council is going to be a little bit different because, of course, the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, as we all know them as WCAG Flipleys, has determined that Texas Hold'em is really popular with probably no one. But uh, (laughs) evidently, they think that we need to have some type of card game-related monikers as I tossed you. Uh, so uh, expect that um, bit of fun to occur as we go. Of course, I am Wiggly, the Jack of Jacks. Today's topic will be something, I think, to tie in with our special guest, Alex Noisy. So I thought, well, maybe we'll talk about rhythm games. And then I thought, well, you know what? That's going to be, okay, we name three games and then it's over. Not really much to talk about. Yes, this is a game where you dance, Dance Dance Revolution. This is a game where you play bongos, Bongo Revolution. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is a game where you're Zamfir, Master of Pan Flute, Rock Band Zamfir, uh, you know, and then it's over. So I thought, well, what else about Bit Trip Beat is so great about? What's so great about this game? And I thought, well, not only is it rhythm-based and you get into it, but you're playing this game and all of a sudden it dawns on you, this is really, really cool. Now, I don't know what the kids call cool. I don't know if it's if they say, this is hip, this is keen. Oh, <laughs> it's the bomb. That type of bomb. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the kids say these days, but I, I thought you know what? It'd be really neat to talk about games that we were playing, and I don't care what they are. They they could be rhythm based. They could just be have no gimmick. Just have a controller in your hand. Could be even on a Game Boy, or Game Boy Advance, or something like that. But I thought it would be really cool to talk about games <laughs> that we think are cool. Now, Rachel, what 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 do these kids call cool? Cool. They were. They still. The kids nowadays still use cool, and they also like the word awesome. And do they? Do they say neato? No. Okay. All right. Very good. I know. <laughs> say, don't they say for the victory? <laughs> no, for the win. Ah, uh, yes. FTW. Oh, that's already passe in my book. Um, yeah. We got to wait another ten years, and we can bring that one back. I'll start with one. Maybe we'll like go round table, bring up a couple or something like that. As I mentioned with Alex. Rhythm Tengaku for the Game Boy Advanced. Check this game out if you can get it. You have to import it, of course. And this was the last game developed by Nintendo for the Japanese Game Boy Advance. And it's an example of a really cool game, in my opinion. It's built on the WarioWare style of minigame collections, but with rhythmic cues as to when you're supposed to complete whatever task is before you. And we might know this because Rhythm Tengaku Gold came out for the Nintendo DS and that, that went worldwide, but that game really isn't as strong as the original Rhythm Tengaku. And the reason I bring up Rhythm Tengaku is because Sega actually released the arcade version of this game in partnership with Nintendo in Japan. And I cannot help but imagine that Sega must have been inspired in some way by this game because... They then released a showcase piece when the Nintendo DS launched. It's a game that I had to show to everyone I knew when I first purchased my Nintendo DS. And I said, look at this, look at this. It was, as a matter of fact, feel the magic out of Sonic Team's Project Rub. And much like 
Rhythm 10 Gaku Gold, when that came out, the sequel to Feel the Magic, Rub Rabbits, was also... <laughs> didn't really... games. It's awesome, but it didn't really capture the magic, uh, to use the word magic over and over and over again. It didn't capture the magic of the originals. This was a pure Japanese quirkiness type of game on my Nintendo DS, and I was ecstatic for it, and that it maintained all of the weird and quirky overtones of, you know, uncomfortable sexual angst and things like this. You're following the adventures of a young man trying to win the heart of his sassy girlfriend. And it's acted out with very, very cool cutscenes. And it's all done in animated silhouette mini-games. Is it like Incredible Crisis? Ooh, what's that? Do you know, oh, Incredible Crisis is this, like, PS1 game. And um, you're a family... And uh, you got to do like rhythm out thingies like that as well. But like you're you're a Japanese family, and it's like the worst day of their lives. And at the beginning, you're doing exercises in the office, and uh, then like you're giving a woman a back massage and a Ferris wheel and stuff like that. Oh well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you actually do rub your girlfriend in in some parts of this while you're trying not to annoy her. You don't want to rub too hard, and you know it all uses the pen and it uses the the microphone, and this really uses the capabilities of the Nintendo DS. We often talk about gimmicks and the gimmicks of the DS and things like this, but this one uses it. It's part of the interactivity of this title, and it makes sense. Like you're blowing a sailboat across water and trying to avoid obstacles. That makes sense to do. You create fire. You do tile matching. You gotta rub the goldfish out of the belly. Right. Yeah. I, for some reason, I just can't think of any of the mini-games, because I'm on the spot, you know, as they say. Sure. It was a really neat game, and I completely thought it was fantastically cool. And some of these cutscenes that move the action along are just incredibly bizarre because they have absolutely nothing to do with the story of chasing this girl down and all of a sudden, you know, there's giant monsters and everything else trying to thwart your efforts to gain her affections and hearts. Yeah, when the DS was a silver turd (laughs) that was not portable in the least. I still have my giant silver brick, yeah. It's a good paperweight now. All righty. Well, why don't we go to the queen of jacks, Rachel Moore. There's been so many awesome games that were innovative and really exciting. And Nintendo seems to be kind of the king of it. Or they, they like, they head it up. I mean, come on. They make some crazy, crazy, like, where in the world did you get this kind of idea games? Mm. And I think the one that's still, every time I play it, I still, I'm just like, oh, my God, it gets crazier and crazier as WarioWare. Yeah. Those little micro games, I mean, they make you really terrified. Not only because the images on the screen are really scary, but you got five seconds to figure out what to do, how to do it, and then do it. And it's like panic, but it's so fun. And you look like an idiot while you're doing it. (laughs) And what's your favorite version of WarioWare, do you think? Probably, oh man, what was it called? The one on the GameCube. Oh, on a GameCube? Okay. I think that was just called WarioWare Inc. Inc. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. It was just called WarioWare Inc. And I think you, you could connect to the pure Game Boy Advance version and stuff like that, I think, didn't you? Yeah. I remember there was a tagline attached to it, but I can't remember. Whatever. But that one was, I I don't know, that one really just spawned it for me. Have and then, of course, I got the ones for the Game Boy hmm. and the DS. But the newest one just didn't do it for me. Hmm. I want them to go back to, to old school, this is WarioWare kind of dealing i see i think the 
then the point of the new one really isn't to give you a WarioWare game either. Like, you know, it's just to, so you can make your own stuff. Yeah, I, I don't want to make but, my own. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I dig it. I mean, like, you come up with the most vile ideas ever. I mean, that's what I love doing, you know? So I've never been creative enough for that. Now, The Sims, I can come up with some pretty ridiculous situations, but, like, Little Big Planet and the games that kind of promote people to get creative and make stuff, mine are always a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it really, oh, does, it really uh, does take some time investment, no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. A buddy of mine actually said, like, as long as there's in-jokes, we'll still have reasons to play WarioWare, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of it, like, you know. Well, Kyle, you made a whole bunch of games for the WarioWare DIY. Yes, I have. Uh, I don't think the DIY is an evolution of the WarioWare franchise. I think it's a branch off. I think it's going to be its own separate thing. I think it's like the open source of Wario. Sure. And I mean, you know, I never really got into Little Big Planet, but I'm totally digging on this. And I've made quite a number of games and I've tanked many, many more. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, I really dig it. And I could see myself playing this for a very long time, at least until a newer version of this software comes out. I mean, like I talked about when I reviewed it, it's. Not a it, not a game so much as it's like a, a tool or a piece of software on your DS, and it's really cool that you're able to create something on your mm-hmm. DS instead of just play a game. And Alex Noisy created something as well. Yes, he did. Uh, he's one of the many big name games on the uh, NinSoft store. You can go on via Wi-Fi and you can download his game. And his game is actually one of the better big name game titles on there. Right on. I think Dry Macaroni, the game, the game is out now. Get it. <laughs> Did you ever play WarioWare Twisted? Yes. No. Ah, that's that's a really, really good one. That's a great one. A reason to buy a Game Boy Advanced just to play that title. Twisted is one of my favorite WarioWare titles because it works so well. And you don't expect it to work well, mm-hmm. but it does. you got this big plastic tumor hanging off your <laughs> Game Boy SP. Yikes. And, you're moving it left and right, and it is—it works perfectly. It, it really it astounded me, and I didn't get it until I uh, got WarioWare touched because I kind of missed the boat on Twisted. Mm-hmm. I got the first one, missed Twisted, and then I jumped on Touched. And after I beat Touched, I'm like, I need more WarioWare. I need my fix. Yeah. So I—I uh, I actually found a, a brand new copy of it for 15 bucks somewhere. Wow. And uh, Yeah, which was a steal, because I don't think you can get that even at the Wiggly Mini Mall. You can't get no. it that cheap. It's demanding and, a high price now, and and so is Touched. Sure, and I have I, I still have the box because it has the nice lenticular little circle graphic showing you how you can twist and everything. It, that really is one of my... WarioWare Twisted is fantastic. Definitely pick it up. Yeah, and let's face it, if that, if, if that didn't have the tight control, it would have been game over. Oh, absolutely. What were some of your mini-games on that one? Uh, one of my favorites would have to be uh, the Super Mario Brothers one. It was World 1-1. Ralph can't beat it, just for the record. <laughs> and um, what they did was they actually had the level on a circular plane almost like a frisbee if you will and you had to turn the system to make mario move through the level and then you'd hit a it's same 8-bit graphics you'd expect on the nes but you were playing something so familiar in a very different way it was very cool and you did a lot of turning the entire system upside down all different ways round and round as she goes uh and like some of the boss levels and things you'd had to try to go up a mountain and make sure you weren't leaning over too much one of the boss levels was a, a rhythm dancing game 
where you had to shake the controller left to right to make uh, the guy disco dance That's right. in the right beat. And that was one of the hardest. And eating a donut. Eating a donut. You had to turn the donut for Wario could munch it up. Yeah, good in stuff. In fact, I think, for the record, I had to employ my girlfriend to beat that dance dance <laughs> one. I, I, I don't think I could get the rhythm. Another weak one was probably the one for the Wii, the Mohawk and the things like that. <laughs> I think there was... I liked it. It, it was fun enough. Yeah. It was... I like that was my first game that I owned for that system. I think overall, I think my favorite is the DS version, the the original DS version, because of all the many useless things that you would unlock in there, like you know, <laughs> a, a, a bubble blower and oh, yeah, yeah. a metronome and just things that have no place in a video game. For me, Wario the character and WarioWare, Wario Land belong on a handheld system. But that's just my personal preference. I, I think that Wario has made great strides from the original Game Boy to the DS. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Definitely the minigame stuff works best on the handhelds because of the sure. simplicity of it and, and the quickness of it. But don't forget Wario Land. Those were great games as well. Yeah, but by the same token, I think that Wario Shake It was very strong on Wii. Sure. Let's go to our ace of jacks, Johnny Capcom. Sometimes it's the little things that make me kind of pop for games, and recently I picked up a Super Street Fighter 4, mm. and obviously, you know, they brought back the um, bonus stages. Right, sure. And two minor details had me freaking out. One was the license plate on the car. has It has a Metro City license plate. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, holy crap, look at that. It's, you know, Metro City Final Fight. Yes. And then when you just I, on the third or fourth time I was playing, I looked in the background and in the in the distance in the city, there's a there's a Mike Hagar for mayor billboard. Oh, that's great. When when and are I, we gonna see Hagar in uh, Street Fighter series? Oh, hopefully Marvel vs. Capcom three. Ah, uh... hopefully. But uh, I, I, look, it'd be cool. But they seem to just uh, maybe, maybe they need to bring back uh, Saturday Night Slam Masters. Uh, that'd be cool <laughs> another just a little quick one that um, I had was uh, either you've ever played uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs in the arcades sure well there is a moment in that that just shocked me as a child it's where there's a a guy and he's butchering a stegosaurus with two um, <laughs> machetes and I was just like I never I never felt pure hatred <laughs> before when I was playing a video game, and uh, the adrenaline rushed through me, and I just wanted to kill that guy so bad. And uh, it was a real feeling of wow, I didn't think I could be affected, you know? Yeah. Because I like Stegosauri or whatever. <laughs> and especially in a side-scrolling beat 'em up, I mean, you don't yeah. expect to have your heartstrings pulled on in that type of scenario. I wanted. I, I did exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to take that guy's machete off and stick it in his face. And uh, thankfully, that game allowed me to do it. Very good. And now we will go to the two of clubs of Jacks, Kyle Von Kubik. Now, when I say free-roaming action, dodging the authorities and breaking the law, what kind of games do you think of? Uh, some type of outlaw game. Yeah, like Grand, Grand, Grand Theft Auto. Theft Auto. Yeah. May maybe Crackdown, yeah. uh, Saints Row, and of course, one of my favorite titles, Food Fight for the Atari. <laughs> Insanity! Food Fight for the Atari 7800. Also for the Lynx. 
also for the Lynx, and you can take the 7800 cartridge and try to jam it into your <laughs> Atari 2600 and see what happens. Yes. I love my 7800. The only problem yep. with it was, uh, you know, the controller was kind of wacky. Yeah, the controller sucked, but I did like the nice chrome piece on top of the console. That was cool. <laughs> yes. Uh, with the rainbow. Anyway, why do I love this game? Well, it it's a lot like Berserk in the sense that you walk into this field and you have to dodge enemies and get to a goal. But the difference between Berserk and Food Fight was there was no maze around you. You were just on this uh, black field and there'd be piles of food scattered among this field and little chefs that look like they came from burger time would come out of uh, teleporting rings and try to throw food at you. And if you got hit by them, you lost a life. And the whole goal was to dodge these chefs either by throwing food at them or just trying to run right through the, uh, the level and grab the ice cream cone. And for whatever reason, I, I, there was a bunch of things happening and... In retrospect, I can see, look at it and see why I love this game. But as a kid, I just loved it. It was just so different. The animations were fluid. It just looked really great for an Atari game, especially when you got to the side and the kid would open up his mouth huge to eat the ice cream <laughs> cone in one gulp. It's free-roaming in the sense that you can just run right to the ice cream cone and try to make it, or you can stop and strategically uh, throw items at the chefs to stop them or stun them. And as you do that with the piles of food, they diminish, so you run out of ammo. And there's just all these different things happening, and it was more than of just a berserk clone. It was something different, it was something unique, and of all my Atari games, it's definitely the one that got the most play. Gotcha. Not Scrappy Yard Dog. Not Scrappy Yard Dog. You throw food at them, they throw food at you, it's the circle of life. Sure. What else you got? We're gonna we're gonna go like in reverse order now. You go and then we go around. Okay. Back in the late eighties it was a rough time being an arcade machine. Would you agree? Being an arcade machine yourself? <laughs> yeah, I would I would concur. Right. Now this wasn't a unique idea. You may have seen this with the uh Nintendo Play Ten or Power Play 10. Play Ten. Sure. Right. Did you ever see a Play Ten with ten games on it? I've only seen like two games or maybe at the most five games. Uh, I think I've max I've seen three. Yeah, it's always those empty spots. I never saw one where you could actually play ten. Right. And then there was there was a Sega variant of that, which its name escapes me. I think it was Megatech. Whatever, but yeah, these were basically just consoles in a box with yeah. a TV. They they weren't really arcade <laughs> machines, and I guess it was because they were trying to just promote the propaganda of the home console. You know, both and it those. worked, and it worked. Yeah, it worked uh, very successfully for both companies at the time. But one company decided to take it a step further and actually, I guess, bridge the gap between arcade and home console and. Mm be light years above everybody else and that was the neo geo uh snk the neo geo mvs which was just at the time compared to its contemporaries a powerhouse a juggernaut a sprite creating monster with uh, 64 beautiful colors I, I believe it could display 80 sprites at one time everything else paled in comparison to it and it was something that you couldn't experience at home at the time. 
Right. That, but it, it was it was almost released hand in hand with the home console. They were, you yeah, know, it was released at like whoa, like $6,000 or something like that. Like, <laughs> no, it wasn't I, exactly accessible, Wiggly. Yeah, it it was a grand, but I'll tell you what, I traded in my NES, I traded in my Genesis and all the games and I was able to get my first uh, home AES system. You were definitely uh, the rarity in that. It was amazing that the cartridges for that cost as much as a Nintendo console did at the time, <laughs> yeah, you know? 200 bucks. Yeah. So um, that was an experience of itself where you, you went and you played this thing, the MVS, which had four games uh, in a clip. And I just remember spending a lot of quarters on Magician Lords and Samurai Showdown. And of course, one of my favorites, Metal Slug, Bust a Move. Just so many great titles. You know, uh, we had Taito on the line. And when I was thinking about Taito afterwards, I was like, man, Taito and, and Neo Geo for me were like almost uh, the symbiotic relationship of one another. Like all my Taito memories, for the most part, is through playing the Neo Geo MVS. Hmm. Hmm. If I could marry a Neo Geo, I would. The MVS, just the way the cabinets looked, they're just gorgeous to look at. And I love being able to play a couple of games. And I remember there was a crappy arcade when I lived in Wales. There's a picture of it on a fail blog because the. Um, Amusements sign, you know the the banner amusement. Sure. Yes. Well, certain certain letters weren't working on the neon that day, <laughs> and uh, the letters that were left spelled out a bodily fluid. But uh, that arcade was a it was a dump. But it had an MVS in it, so I would go in there amongst the cavemen who used to throw money into the fruit machines, and I'd play Eight Man. Uh, oh oh yeah. I remember reading about the Neo Geo and, of course, the AES that was going to be coming out. And I would trek at least once a week to Allentown to King Kebab. Did they serve shish kebab at the King Kebab? They did serve shish kebab, but I always got the falafel plate. Okay. (laughs) It was actually a falafel and a pita with the tahini sauce. It was delicious. I'll tell you that right now. Then I spend the rest of the time playing the MVS there. Top player golf, NOM 75... Baseball Stars Professional and Magician Lord. And those were the four games that were in that system. And then, of course, it's definitely worth mentioning that when I think of super cool, they were super cool for me and my friends at the time. But today, if I mention them, you might think, meh. But the day that I came home with my Neo Geo system and Ninja Combat, me and my roommate, (laughs) I did not know which game to take as my pack-ins did i want baseball stars did i yes. want ninja combat well the original oh. baseball stars didn't have very much control did i want ninja combat or did i want magician lord and i loved magician lord that was a game that put me in the arcade because when i saw the skies of magician lord i said that's more beautiful than a real sky <laughs> so so I, I had to go in and you know seek out these titles but I chose Ninja Combat and I have no idea why but I'll tell you what me and my roommate just sat there and played through the entire game which took all 20 minutes and then we played through it again and we just as you beat the bosses you can become them so that was really cool I just remember stepping back as we were playing and just button mashing and just listening listening to the sound blaring out of my Kerwin Vega AT-15 speakers and just thinking, this is arcade at home in the 1990, and I am hearing sounds and voices and crazy things. Like, I've never heard so much voice capture in any game before 
this title in 1990. And I just couldn't believe it. I just thought it would never get any better than that. On who's to say it did? True. I still have Ninja Combat sitting on my shelf today. I have to blow the dust off of it, but I, I, I can go back to that. I, I don't I don't mind. I've also mentioned in the past the first time I hooked up my Turbo CD and heard that High Fidelity soundtrack to Fighting Street. Yeah, I've yeah. actually got a similar thing written down here, and that was recently when I was uh, given a gift of Dracula X Rondo of Blood by yourself. Oh, yes. And I turned that thing on. And uh, the cutscenes and the music, I literally turned my TV up to 100. <laughs> like, the, the volume couldn't go higher. I was just sitting there letting the sound hit me in the face. Because it was, it was Konami 1990s Sunset Riders, Turtles kind of level sound quality. But it's like 16-bit Castlevania graphics and everything was just, oh, I love it. And in German, the German really enhances yeah, that I'm environment. German and subtitled in Japanese. So I didn't understand the twice you know, <laughs> two times the misunderstanding <laughs> but, i think the first time i really got blown away it wasn't really so much for sound but was a uh, mario 64 yeah. so i've been a big mario fan and this was like the first time where it was like mario 3d and it was open world and just it completely my head exploded <laughs> <laughs> And how much time did you just spend going around in circles like a nut, running in circles yeah. with that thumbstick? Yep. Well, I've played, I've beaten Mario 64, I think, four or five times. Wow. You're much better than I. I, I, I lost patience with it. It definitely was a, a truly an experience to play in 3D. And even, even Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, when you first brought that home and just heard that Sony sound chip cooking away. Oh, yeah, the surround sound. I, I, I remember uh, having my pops hook up the uh, Super Nintendo to the surround sound of the Entertainment Center. Mm -hmm. And it just blew my mind. Like when you were in the cave and you heard the dripping and the yeah. doo 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 doo. Oh, it sounded so good. And. Like I'll say many times during this council, I didn't believe it could get any better than that. Yeah, <laughs> and you know that, that's such a solid game, even still to today. Uh, sure. Some of the, some of the things still surprise you. I think. I think that was one of the first times that we got to experience on the fly audio effects. They weren't just recorded that way. They were on the fly effects added to it, like the echoes and things like that in the in the caves and whatnot. Right, and uh, graphically, it was doing the same thing with the Mode 7. Mm, right. I mean, it was taking the sprites and scaling them up, scaling them down, and altering them and everything else. A game that often gets overlooked is um, Yoshi's Island, which is another sure. one that has some great sound and music in it. But, it, you know, it came out in sort of the last leg of the Super Nintendo. I, I think what makes Yoshi's Island so interesting is that it's not all rectangular levels. It's very rounded and natural. Right. The Mario 64, the music in that is probably some of the best on the N64. Because uh, there's some truly terrible music on those N64 games. Like, you know, I mean, they weren't operating with CD, obviously. But um, Super Mario 64's music, especially when you're swimming around in the water, second or third levels, I think it is, that music is just, it's beautiful, you know? Yep. Kyle, here's a game we've talked about on numerous occasions, at least you and I have, and that's Boy and His Blob oh, yeah. for the NES. Get your jelly beans ready. There's so many things 
awesome about this game, and most of it is in its concept. Uh, its execution is a little broken at times, but I think you can still visit the game today and have a good time. What blew my mind about the game is you're this boy, uh, and you got a blob following you around, and you'd feed the blob jelly beans, and he'd turn into different items and tools that you could use to uh, navigate yourself through this cavern. And the whole goal of the game was to return the blob to Blobonia and defeat the evil Blob King by feeding him vegetables. Yes. Which was exactly uh, the strongest narrative <laughs> in a video game. But at the time, what video games had a really strong narrative? It was just a lot of fun. It was different than anything else you saw. It was an action platformer with this unique element of a shape-shifting blob. And uh, it was really, it was really fun. It was really cool. And I, uh, I definitely played it a lot as a kid and struggled my way through it. But uh, I learned some tips and tricks as I got older. And you can pretty much beat the game in five minutes. <laughs> you can. You, I mean, you just like you fold get down this one part. Oh, right, right. Take the one life hit. That's the other thing too. The game is like um, incredibly difficult. It's very unevenly balanced. This was a time when Activision was just coming off the heels of all the success it had from Atari. So David Crane was very uh, gauche about himself. And he, David Crane's boy in his blob. <laughs> and the game itself, if you're really like to analyze it today, it is a broken mess. But the concept is really strong and really cool. And that's why I'm glad that they, way forward, redid this game. Because mm-hmm. this was yeah, a game that needed to be redone in the right way. And I think they achieved that. Yeah, it's it's lovely. It's lovely to see. You can hug play. the blob now. You can hug him anytime you want. Man, play that. For, you know what? Forget the Nintendo. Play it on the Wii. Yeah, definitely. I know we got Wii lovers on, on the phone right now. And you know, that reminds me. Why was there never a schmoo game? What, what is that, crickets? <laughs> Jesus. Shmoo? Yeah, the shmoo. And that, and that also reminds me, how come he was the new shmoo, and they put him in the Stone Age with Fred and Barney as cops? How was the Stone Age newer oh, than... Oh, that was the ninth- blob with the mustache? Yeah. The dirty uh, stash blob? <laughs> how was that newer than the 1950s and 60s hillbilly Little Abner putting him in the Stone Age? I would call that the old shmoo. Was it Bleep and Blop from Thundar the Barbarian? Yeah, those were shmoo ripoffs. They didn't have they mustaches. They were ripoffs of the shmoo? Oh, yeah, definitely. The shmoo I thought started, that was an older cartoon. No, shmoo started like in the maybe 40s or 50s with Little Abner in the, in the Sunday funnies. Oh. So, how about anybody else? Anybody else like Boy and His Blobs? Never played it. Mm-mm. Ah, that's a good, that's a really good game. You need, you need to go back to that. For all the reasons Kyle just mentioned. I'm breaking the law right now to get it. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. You can get it. You can download that in your virtual console. So the next game I'd like to talk about is a game that was huge at the time. I know it's real posh to hate on this game today. You know, people like to be like, oh, it was overrated. And to those people, I say, go f*** Because what? Final Fantasy VII at the time, was huge, and everybody, yes, everybody, even the haters of today, were playing that game. Definitely, definitely. In 1997, you could not have crafted a more perfect game in my eyes than Final Fantasy VII. True, true. And especially with my 1997 eye. I mean, look at Toshinden. You thought that was like clear as a bell. Now you look at it, and you're like, oh, what's this muddy mess? 
Sure. Uh, you know what? Final Fantasy VII also is a huge landmark as far as the history of video games because it was the first time that S- Squaresoft at the time took that franchise off a Nintendo console. Right, right, yeah. Because that. the production, the development of the game began in 94 for the Super Nintendo, and then they were thinking about putting it on the Nintendo 64, and they realized that th- that system was not strong enough. Yeah, it probably would have cost like three hundred dollars to buy the cartridge because all the music and cinematics it crammed in. You would have to plug in like five of those expansion packs <laughs> yeah. into that little port. <laughs> How could we not have mentioned that when we talked about crappy things to add on to your system? Now, it's it's not my favorite Final Fantasy, but I loved it because I had so many good memories playing it together with friends, believe it or not, a single-player RPG uh, game playing with friends. But we would all get together Mm -hmm. and try to barrel our way through this game. And why I loved it is because, as you and I know and John knows, I'm big into film. And one of my favorite films of all time is Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Mm. So you have the Metropolis dumped into your fantasy, dumped into your RPG elements. You couldn't make a more perfect game for me at the time it was really the best you could and it was the first polygoned final fantasy game and everybody thought it looked beautiful again in retrospect we look at it and we're like oh it was poop i don't (laughs) care what anybody says people were eating that game up people who were into madden were playing final fantasy 7 people who were into jrpgs were playing final fantasy 7 and people who never played an rpg before in their life yeah this was their first rpg they jumped on and in most cases beat it and it sold to ball because people bought that just for the demo. And when you played that demo and you saw, oh my gosh, I'm doing magic and this giant dragon-like thing is filling my entire screen and there's all these lighting effects and everything else. It just, it was mind-blowing. It was. And like I said, another example of at the time when you were playing that game, you truly believed it couldn't get better than that. <laughs> That's exactly right. One game that I... Did not mention, although I did bring it up earlier, that I at one time I did have to sell tons of games that were near and dear to my heart so that I can try to bring you this media that you hear before you today. Uh, and this beautiful one, Chinatown you see before you? Yes, exactly. Thank you for fine. I've only been saying that phrase for the past six years, and now you understand I'm Egg Chen. Very yeah, good. totally. But one of my most cherished music-related items that I've ever had to sell had to be my Samba de Amigo maracas for the Dreamcast. I had two sets of these, and I had the original Sega branded ones. Now, this had a sensor bar that you put down. There was even like a little mat. I don't know if you've ever played Samba de Amigo, but it was also an arcade game as well. And this was an early type of shake-along-with-the-music game. And it had a lot of great hits at the time, like thub, Tub Thumping, or whatever that is. Uh, and a lot of Ricky Martin songs and things I was completely unfamiliar with. But when I was rocking those maracas, I was loving every song and turning it up to, as you said, 100, John. And... Um, this had really good control. Now, they did bring out Samba de Amigo for the Wii, which you're supposed to use the Wii remotes, and I can see this working perfectly maybe on the Move. It might be the only game that the Move might be able to do perfectly because they look like two mini maracas. But the thing that's missing here is, of course, the beans inside it is hollow ball. And 
that's one thing the original maracas had. They were real maracas. So you would shake them, and then you had to go in different positions and pose at the end. And that was the only thing that was a little wonky at times was the pose. But otherwise, this was a really, really solid game. And I, I remember thinking how cool this was initially. Hey, did you play the Samba de Amigo game on that iToy compilation? I believe it was called Sega All-Stars iToy or whatever. I didn't even know that was available, but I can only imagine it working as wonderfully as all the other <laughs> iToy games. Well, if you have a three-point lighting rig, you'll be in good shape. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the two iToy games that I had, the one being the pack-in title. And uh, basically what it was was Samba de Amigo, but without the maracas, and you would pretty much fist pump into the air hitting the targets and you'd look like a buffoon yes but i actually remember it being you know fun okay but nothing makes for that tactile actual shaky maracas in your hand and that's that's why it was so fun because you hear the maracas in the room you don't hear them through a speaker and they're fake maracas i don't even think they had the sound in the itoy game as far as you know the shaking of the Moroccan beans. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure that was even a good idea to put in the Wii, but nonetheless, that's how they did it. I think one of the games that gets overlooked is a game and a gimmick that came out from Namco, and that's Tyco Drum Master. Uh, this was also pretty big in the arcade, and I remember picking this up for my PS2. I even bought two Tyco drums. And if you're not f- familiar with Tyco drums, those are usually those big giant drums that you come out of japan and you go and when you play them (laughs) Uh, and um these were really neat games and like i mentioned they came with their own tata con which namco and their con controllers their nejikon first and now of course the tata con it's a little more adult than the donkey congo uh, that i briefly alluded to earlier But it had a really great variety of songs that you could do, even though it was still really targeting the entire family. And you would bang on this with a stick. You can hit the left side, the right side, and the rim, I believe, on the home version. On the arcade version, it actually had a drum that would make a sound on there, and it would go by the velocity that you hit the drum head. But you had really neat songs, like Killer Queen. Never thought I'd hear that in a Tyco drum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Japanese drum, you're drumming a killer queen. My Sharona slide. And then they also had TV themes like Bowling for Soup, which I guess was from Jimmy Neutron, and uh, Rock the Dragon, the Dragon Ball Z theme. And also a couple of original like Katamari on the Rocks and Ridge Racer and Dragon Spirit. Who does not want to hear the theme song for Dragon Spirit again? That popular 1990-somethings vertical shooter. Just remember, kids, do not immerse in water your little Tyco drums. And this also came, and it also had mini games, which was neat. And there were three iterations of this available for your Japanese Nintendo DS. They play very well. Uh, You have to get past the dialogue, of course. And I believe they're also available for PSP and even the iPhone, but I think only the iPhone in Japan What's wrong with them? Namco's iPod catalog is huge in the iTunes store, but no, unfortunately, no touch the dokodan. That's because they hate money. (laughs) (laughs) I can only guess. That's a good guess. I got two more, but... Okay, go ahead. First one was uh, Star Wars Arcade. I don't know. Oh, yeah. The vector graphics version? (laughs) Yep. Ah. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys ever played a sit-down one. 
Uh-huh. Is sure. It, uh, did it rumble? Ooh. Ooh. I because, don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Good question. Because the one I was in did, and I was always kind of, I always thought I was going to die. It, was it just the, the grip that rumbled? Is that Was that it? I, it's coming yeah, back and, to me. Uh, yeah, and the glass used to shudder all the time. <laughs> I see. And I remember sitting there, and I could, I'd be holding on. And it was like, I thought the rumble was, uh, like, I wasn't sure whether it was a feature or a challenge. Because, like, I was, like, seven, and I'm trying to hold on to the, the thing, and my hands kept on just being shook off, you know? And I remember it was, the, it was the only game I felt the next day after, you know, I'd be just walking around feeling like I had our right to my hands or something. But, uh, I mean, that, that game is awesome, and when you're playing with literally thinking you might die it's just it's it's <laughs> badass you know and it's just vector art but it's such convincing 3d and your mind really fills in a lot of those old vector games yeah and i mean um the sound effects are great and, mm. and you know it's just and it really it feels i don't just because it's so black i guess it just feels like oh, yeah. space yeah even star you trek know? had that you know what when you're mentioning this i wonder if more time wasn't actually put into those rudimentary style games than successors to that from out of the LucasArts studio, or at least just as much time. Because well, as much right. time was probably put into destroying pinball, but that's just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right but, now. No, but um, another game, just in, kind of an evolution of that, was uh, you remember when Star Wars Rogue Squadron Two came out in GameCube, the uh, the first one. It's like a jet fighter, X fighter. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah, sure, yep. Yeah. I have that. I have that on and, the shelf. Uh, that one, that came. I'd never seen so much stuff happening. You know, in that first level where you're attacking the Death Star. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, that's just crazy. I remember just sitting there going, "Holy crap, uh, I am Luke Skywalker." <laughs> I'd never felt that outside of like the Super Star Wars, I guess. Like you know, but this was just so much better. You know? <laughs> Super Star Wars. Well, oh, Super my. Star Wars is awesome. <laughs> It's one step removed from Captain America and his Avengers and the Avengers. It is, oh, no, it is not. Except you're jumping on one of those big walkers. Super Star Wars is badass, all right? Uh, you, got, you, you, you can pick Han Solo, and uh, you can, it takes 10 years to get around the Sandcrawler level because it's the most incredibly difficult thing. You keep falling uh, off. Yeah, and you need save states to be able to beat it. Mm-hmm. But it's I still love I love Super Return of the Jedi and Super Empire Strikes Back as well. You're right. Those have that certain feel to them that even though they're really not that great now compared to now, uh-uh. they they still have that that thing that makes you want to go back to them and and relive uh, some of those experiences. And you can never kill anything in it. Everything responds immediately. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised the bosses didn't just keep getting back up. And there was one level where you were jumping over lava or something like that while this giant worm thing was attacking you. And I just remember as a child looking at it going, I can't do this. This is literally impossible. You know, as an adult with the, uh, you know, with the technology that allowed me to <laughs> save just before I died, you know, and rewind and stuff that uh-huh. I finally got by it. But I remember, I just remember as a child just being like, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a quitter. Yes, sir. Well, John, you, you mentioned before Zelda Twilight Princess, and that's a pretty recent game for me to have that really cool feeling. You know, every time you find a new item, you just unlock an entire new subset of gameplay mechanics. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
the boots that weigh you down, and then you have to figure out when to put the boots on, when to take them off, and then they also allow you to walk up the magnetized sections of the walls and the ceilings, and you're, you know, you look around the different levels that you've already visited, and you're able to cross now because you have these boots on. Uh, the spinning top, all the mechanics that that introduces, and you know, sometimes wall. yeah, amazing. Sometimes you get things that uh, you only use for brief moments, and you're like, why can't I? breathe underwater here why can't i use this here and it falls flat but it's, it's as if whole new teams with whole new directions just worked on those sections of the game and put them together in this big mishmash that really makes for a very special feeling game even just going to the spots where you're talking to the other wolf and you have to do that goofy sing-along type of part yeah yeah there's something about the cool. atmosphere when you're you're getting closer and closer to this enigmatic wolf figure that's going to somehow impart something on you by the end, I hope. I don't know. I've still never beaten it myself. But, uh, you know, I think there was a really neat feel to the Zelda Twilight Princess that I didn't get from any other Zelda. Do you mind me asking where you're stuck? Yes, I'm stuck in the sky. And whereabouts <laughs> in the sky are you stuck? I'm walking across. There's wind trying to blow me off and... Uh, I'm I'm down there. I'm shooting giant flying birds from 1960s Spider-Man cartoons with my bow and arrow, yep. and I just you don't have the know double what to claws do. yet. The double claw shots. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I have no advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Draw me a map and on a graph paper and send that to me. I use a fact. Just that's just the best way to go through it. Yes. But. Uh, I, I always find with those friggin' Zelda games, it's a, it, I, like I can beat the crap out of Ganondorf any day of the week, but a key that I didn't find two screens ago will keep me stuck for three weeks. Sure. You know? Yeah. I, I hate that about those games sometimes. And it's always something really obtuse, you know? It's Definitely. just like, thanks a lot. But, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Any thoughts on Zelda, Rachel? I know that you're. you're I really Nintendo. didn't like Twilight Princess. Wow! See, that's why we have you on the show because you really have a different view and a different look at some of the titles that uh, we enjoy. So that's why I like having you on here. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I was one of the very few people that actually loved Wind Waker. I loved that game. Twilight Princess did not. I liked Wind Whacker as well. Wind w- Waker Whacker. Uh, <laughs> Wind Whacker. <laughs> yes. I liked a lot of parts about that. The sailing. I loved the graphic style. And uh, the conducting. I love that. Yeah. 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 Throwing a pig. Yeah. I, I think I love that. Uh, just the way they went with that. The cell shaded stuff. You know, I, I, I like the fact that it's continued in the DS. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Although, for as much as I love trains, I can't even break in to start on this spirit tracks spirit tracks yeah I, I don't know why i just i can't get started with it hmm it's working yeah. true i don't know i think uh zelda titles need to kind of die for a little bit mm. and uh come back later and they've just well, that whole series and and uh just the whole zelda franchise has been so run into the ground i would love to see it go on a several year hiatus mm-hmm. no game boy or ds titles nothing i don't want to see another zelda game for several years <laughs> and then i'd love it for them to come out 
and just blow us away with a new title that was something we we hadn't seen before in the series. I don't think you're going to get your wish because isn't there <laughs> I know it's such a money maker. But the, yep. you know that was the pattern for so long. I mean, right? There was only one Zelda for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, one per generation, nearly. And then they brought out two for the N64, and then uh, one for the GameCube, which they pushed to the. Oh no! They they brought out two for the GameCube: the uh, yeah. Wind Waker Twilight. and then Twilight and Princess came out. And for Four the Swords. Ah, yes, forgot about that one. You played with your Game Boy Advanced if you so chose. Yeah. And the little four links looked awesome. Yeah, because they were all the same guy with different color beanies. I have to mention this, too, and I think we could probably all agree with this. I know that Kyle clued me in a little bit on, on his list, and this was on my list as well, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it for everyone. I'm going to say it first. The first guitar hero. When I was at a friend's house, I was a little embarrassed to play it. I was a little intimidated by it. But when I got this game at home by myself and I strapped on my first plastic guitar and I became comfortable with the interface and understood what was going on and I relaxed into it, I really began to groove. And as I mentioned with like Rock Band Beatles uh, even, it was most likely the closest that many non-band members will get to experience performing. Now, it's a completely different feel. It's a little bit different in uh, certain ways and certain nuances. Another caveat is that if you're... You have to allow yourself to experience a game and let yourself go and freely express yourself in a game. If you, I mean, if you crank up the difficulty to some type of insane mode and you're just watching and aping colors, then you're not going to get that sensation. But in there... In those games, in the first Guitar Hero especially, because now we're so, you know, we're so used to this. It's like, oh, another rock thing, another guitar thing coming out. But the, going back to the first one, you really can get a taste of that live performance experience. And especially if you put, and then when Rock Band allowed you to put an entire band together, then you really can get that type of experience. So you look around and realize, oh, we're all just doing plastic instruments. But there's something in there. There's little bits that you can glean from it. And I definitely felt like this is really cool when I played the first Guitar Hero. What was great about Guitar Hero was this was the short-lived romance between harmonics and red octane. Right? Ah. And the first game was something that was completely new. In, in the sense that it felt different than playing other plastic instrument type games, because it certainly wasn't the first. But you had two uh, developers that were very musically inclined, whether it be Red Octane or Harmonix, and they got together and they made this beautiful love child that I couldn't get enough of. Now, the first time I saw Guitar Hero, it was at CES circa 2005, I believe, and I looked at that thing, and I'm like, this is going to be a hit. I just saw the people playing that, you know, the, the first-generation plastic guitar, and I'm mm -hmm. just like, that looks cool. It looks like it's fun. And when it came out, none of my friends knew about it. Nobody really knew about it because it hadn't blown up yet. It was an instant party game, and it was a lot of fun. And I just remember just standing up there looking like a fool, jamming away on a plastic guitar. Right. Really a plastic ukulele. Oh, yeah, they were a little bit yeah, tiny. They were, the first generation was rather small. Sure, but sure. you look like an idiot nonetheless. Yep. I think everyone's guilty, though, of probably looking like a moron when playing those games on your own. I hope so. 
I mean, I'm sure if someone videoed me playing any Kiss song <laughs> on those things, I'd imagine they would have the goofiest, most easily blackmailable video of me that you could hope to get your hands on. Especially so, uh, in your underwear. Oh, definitely. <laughs> because you, know? you get hot. You know, you do more than three songs, you got to start <laughs> dropping some clothes. Oh, let's, let's face it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Me and a buddy of mine were playing that and uh, in his front room. And uh, there, he has a massive window, and the TV is right beside the window. And uh, we were playing uh, Thunderstruck, I think it was. And the two of us had gotten really into it. And at the end of it, the song turn, turns off. And next thing we look out, and there's like seven kids watching us <laughs> through the window. We were just like, oh, well, whatever. Let's go. Let's do Black and Black. <laughs> Now, I, I guess that you can't get that same sensation if you played the arcade version of Guitar Hero with the, the concrete guitars. No, what you do in the arcade version is you get backache and then you get sick from all the snot on the guitar controllers that kids have left there. Kyle? All right, let's talk about something completely unique and different. Let's talk about a first-person puzzler. Aha. Uh-huh. Of course, you're talking about gritters. Oh, that was third person and that was third person and the creator of the 3do system didn't even remember that one (laughs) yeah it definitely left an impact well i'll tell you what it still demands high prices just for the demo disc that this is on so how do you like that just remember kids the crappy games of today are the high price collectibles (laughs) of tomorrow sitting on a gold mine (laughs) babysitter america Crazy Frog Racing. That's a gold mine right Invest there. Invest now. <laughs> you can get it for like two for a penny. The, pr- the price of crappy video games will yes. surpass gold. Yes. Given 10 years. No, uh, but no, what are you talking serious. about? Let's talk about Portal. Oh, yes. You can get this for everything. Now you can get it for everything, including the Mac. Wow. Yes. And you can get it for free on the Mac yes, via Steam. Steam. Yep. But I first played it on the Xbox 360 in that great compilation. If you don't have it yet, why not? The Orange Box. Sure. It's a must-have title. A killer app, if you will, for the Xbox 360. <laughs> Tron, killer app. Sitting on another gold mine air. Yeah. <laughs> no one even remembers that. No. Portal was something that uh, definitely brought this sensation that I hadn't had since I was very, very little and I was playing like the Nintendo for the first time, mm. where it was something that I had never seen done before. Yes, I have seen first-person shooters, millions of them, but I never saw a game that was this integration of a first-person shooter, sans the shooter, plus the puzzler. Yeah. And the unique elements that were dumped into this game really w- was just something that is a piece of art in my opinion. I know that's a hot debate, but it really is. And it was just a lot of fun, and it was seamless, and it worked so well. Yeah, it's like Logan's Run first-person experience. Sliders without the suck. I loved Portal. I thought it was an excellent title. It's definitely trying something new, and it was a puzzle, but it wasn't ridiculous. I don't know. It had so much personality that I don't know anybody who didn't love that game. And I think the physics really lended to that when you really yeah. felt like you were... You know, falling very long distances. Yeah, that was such an amazing game. So good. I mm. never played it. It's on the list, but Ooh. And let's not forget all of the stupid T shirts that came out of that game. Yeah. Cake is a lie, pie is a lie. I'm not gonna buy. Hey, who knows cool better than us? 
No one! Yes. And how can we not go out on that? Hey, everyone, Ace Freely Crunchy Diapers. Get those games that we mentioned at your local online auction or Wiggly's Mini Mall. It's just like a flea market without the fleas. Without the fleas. Yes. Plug it in. Right on. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us, Council. We'll talk to you next time. Bye! Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, that's it. I'd like to thank Kyle Von Kuh. Hey, Wiggly. What's with the album art for today's episode? Ooh, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm sure you do, Stinky. I think we're probably the only two people that do know. Episode 16's album art is a nod to Nintendo's mistakenly referring to Commander Video as Captain Video. So I thought it would be really cool to dress up Commander Video in Captain Video's uniform. Unfortunately, Captain Video and his Video Rangers hasn't been popular in about about ever. Yeah, it was really never very popular. So a free no prize if you recognize what was going on there. Hey, thank you so very much for joining us. Special thanks to Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, Eric Alex Kirby, Rachel Moore, and our special guest Alex Noisy of Gaijin Games. Of course, TT and Stinky, we hope that you enjoyed listening to the show as much as we enjoyed creating it. I'll talk to you very soon on the next episode of We Talk Games. Bye now. Hello out there, Rangers. This is Captain Video. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? I am ready, Captain Video. <laughs> Very good. Let us all put on our official Captain Video space helmet. Adjust disintegrator gun. Disintegrator gun adjusted, Captain Video. And now we blast off for Pluto and the moon.